This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. The good doctor, and uh, I've now healed, apparently, Jeffrey Simpson. Wrong. Nope. Jeff's still sick, but you're here. Yeah, so if you see me just, like, kind of blankly staring at you with my mouth hanging open throughout the show... Well, that would be like normal. Well, yeah, except this time it's just because I can't breathe. (laughs) So you had a, a head cold. I we never knew what you had, so we kept making up things. I'm I I'm okay with it being shrouded in mystery. Oh, really? Um, but I'm glad that I was sick and that I could listen to the show a little bit yesterday yeah. and have some time to prepare. Um, it it made me think about your health. Why? What? Your Why? your mental health. I'm healthy as can be. Well, like I, the president. Yes. Anyway, uh, later. In the program today, yes. maybe after Terry's news, I'm going to administer the MOCA test to you. The MOCA test. On the air. Yeah. And then in the next hour, I thought we could uh, administer a mental health test. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So do, just be just be getting you, ready for this. Do you think I'm the only one that should be taking it? Yeah. seems like it'd be you know really important to have everybody take it. Well, we Terry and I did it when we were hired at BYU Radio. Oh, really? Yeah. And then you don't. You're good for like another ten years. Oh, really? Is that how that? But works? I think I think you were here before we were, and they hadn't started administering yeah, it at that point. They hadn't. By the way, I, I I don't really like mocha. Yeah, me neither. My wife likes the flavor, the flavor of mocha. I'm not no. a I'm not a mocha person. You, so you're married to a woman too, who secretly wishes she could drink coffee. Yes, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, that are sniffing it every time they go down that aisle <laughs> yeah, at the they grocery love that, store. The coffee aisle. I just want a product that I can consume that has as many options. Oh, boy. Yeah. There's like five million flavors, but there's nothing other, another yeah. product other than mm-hmm. that that has that many that and much variety. And there's lots of like Enos, like a cappuccino, mochaccino, Eno. Yeah. I don't know all the names. Matt Eno. Frappe. Yeah, I have like different kinds of juices, and that's eh, yeah. It's not you got to really try some diet Coca Cola beverage. I use um, a version of you uh, use you use. It's the word it's you a use. use. It's a use product, but yeah. I only do it on the weekends, so it's okay. Yeah, it's also it's so all I have a soda product that I consume. Yeah. But no, mm. I know you're a weekend consumer. So Jeff's feeling better, I mean, well enough to to be here, um, but he's now slack jawed with his mouth open because he has to breathe through his mouth now. So I, I didn't want to be here this morning. That's uh, that's I shouldn't say that, that. sounds bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I wasn't going to be here, but they told me that somebody needed to administer this test, and it it fell upon me to do that. We drew straws. Oh really? So I pulled myself out of bed. Yeah. The short straw or the long straw? Well, it depends on how you do. Uh, so after Terry's news, we'll administer this test, oh, and this will determine scary. how fit you are to continue working here. Okay. This is good. Uh, the mocha test. I will be taking my own version. My goal is to have 30 out of 30 like the president had. And we'll see. I mean, apparently that was the greatest score that was ever received in the history of mocha tests. Yeah, well, he apparently was the greatest mocha testing participant in the history of mocha nation. 
Uh, okay, then let's <laughs> let's get to the headlines because I really want to get to the test to find out how healthy I am. Uh, what's going on, Terry? What should we be paying attention to? Several notes. Uh, there was a movie. Yeah. A yeah, couple the, years the ago. The Greatest Showman. No, it was a few. It was a year, couple years back called Mrs. Sloan. It had Jessica Chastain as the... Okay, uh, yeah, Mrs. She Sloan. was a lobbyist. Yeah. And she broke some rules, and they brought her in for some mm. federal... People do that. I mean, that happens. Committee hearings. Yeah. And she was trying to figure out if she broke some rules and laws. And in that, they talk. She's... Basically, she takes the fifth all the way through. Her lawyer tells her if she doesn't take the fifth on every single question, then they have you, and they can make you talk. Oh, wow. Right? So that was kind of the premise of what was going on on the yeah. show. Steve Bannon, Uh-oh. former head of the Trump Mr. campaign Sloan. and chief strategist of the White House, yeah. goes in and talks to uh, some committees. And as he's talking, first we hear the story yesterday afternoon that apparently his lawyer was on the phone during the committee hearing talking to lawyers, possibly at the White House, That's to strange. see which questions they should be yeah. able to answer and yeah. shouldn't answer. He basically didn't answer anything to Congress. Okay. He's going to talk to Mueller. He's going to get all that information to Mueller. But they also said Bannon made one slip-up in his closed-door Uh-oh. hearing on Tuesday with the House oh, Intelligence boy. Committee. This out of the uh, the Axios website. Yeah. They're saying he cited four with four sources with direct knowledge of the proceedings. That Bannon admitted that he had conversations with Reince Priebus, Sean Spicer, and legal spokesman Mark Carallo about Don Jr.'s infamous meeting with Russians Uh-oh. in the Trump Tower in 2016. He, he opened the door, apparently. He said something. So I'm not sure how all that works. Well, boy. But that's a little, you this know. could get exciting. Could get a little crazy there because that's that's a key event. Yeah. Because then it leads to, did Trump help craft the message that came out afterwards saying it was about adoptions, yeah. not about trying to get dirt on well, Hillary Clinton? I thought we already knew he crafted the letter. People are assuming. He didn't say he had anything to do with it. He's always denied. He goes, oh. they just... Oh, I thought, okay, I thought there were people, So this, this comes into the right, obstruction of justice and that whole line mm. of thing. But okay. Bannon, and Bannon has no loyalty to anybody. They've burned no. him from the White House. No. So they're like, oh, what's he doing? But they're st- he's still friendly with the president. Is he? Well, we'll see. I thought President Trump could hate you one minute and love you the next. Yeah, he does have mood swings in that direction. Snow, ice, and record cold temperatures across the south caused chaos Wednesday, sending cars sliding off roads and leaving at least 10 people dead. Ooh. Uh, one of those killed an eight-month-old baby that slid off an ah. overpass in Louisiana. It's at least seven other deaths reported in Louisiana, Georgia, and West Virginia due to cars spinning out of control in icy conditions. Texas also has reported deaths caused by low temperatures. Uh, the brutal weather also caused government offices and schools to shut down in various cities, while icy runways prompted delays and cancellations in New Orleans, Memphis, and North Carolina. Okay, man. If you, if you watch the news, it's just this conga line of cars crashing into each other. It's just... <laughs> Though that that's not the that's not the dance you want to be doing. In no, the but I mean there there was a freeway. I believe it was in Houston. People were turning off, going down an on ramp just to get off the freeway. Just to get off. Wow, out of it was the just line. an ice skating rink. Oh, right? We can't man. do this. Dangerous. While meeting with Democrats on Wednesday, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly called some of the President Trump's campaign stances on the border wall quote uninformed. Several Ooh. people tell CNN. John Kelly. Chief of staff. Chief of staff, John Kelly. Saying that eh, the previous uh, yeah. ideas were uninformed. My man's not fully informed. Representative Ruben Gallego from Arizona confirmed the comment during an interview with Wolf Blitzer and a person familiar with Kelly's meeting in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus said Ooh. Kelly told them he was working on educating Trump on campaign vows and policy. Good luck. 
He goes, you make campaign promises, but then you learn the reality of governing, which is difficult, Kelly said per a lawmaker at the meeting. The hour-long meeting ended without any sort of deal regarding uh, the DACA immigrants, which is the big hang-up. We may be defunding the government on Friday if we don't get some sort of deal on DACA, and it seems like everyone's locked in, digging in and not having any sort of talking, even talking about it. So Kelly indicated the president is motivated to have a fix for DACA, right? Uh, He's motivated... To have a fix, but he, does he have one? No. Okay, just motivated. He's just saying no to everyone. I and mean, I'm motivated to be a billionaire. Mitch McConnell was on TV <laughs> yesterday saying, he goes, well, once we figure out what the president wants, then we can move forward on having some sort of agreement yeah, negotiation. Right. Right? I don't like, like, I don't even know what he wants. Yeah, he doesn't even know what he wants. And then the guy heading up Trump's immigration push from the White House was confused as to why Mitch McConnell doesn't know what the president wants. Yeah. After seeing the clip of Mitch McConnell saying, we don't know what the president wants. Was, was Mitch in that meeting that got crazy the I, other day? I don't know. I'm not sure what his uh, location was during that time. Um, <laughs> after Kelly's words were published, we believe the New York Times put it out, Trump tweeted, the wall is the wall. It has never changed or evolved from the first day I conceived it. So he conceived of a wall that would completely... Uh, run a- along the entire border of Mexico. Now, he qualified that there's some areas where oh, we don't okay. need that, and they, maybe we'll need to be able to see through it, and, you know, because they're talking about yeah. massive amounts of drugs being thrown over and people getting crushed on the other side, which I'm not sure have ever happened, but he Whoa. mentioned it. And, yeah, he tossed that one out there. Wow. It'll have a big door in it. It's a big, beautiful wall. They're talking about solar panels. Yeah, a beautiful solar paneled wall. With a Trump sign on it. <laughs> I love the whole story of the wall. It just keeps evolving. But it doesn't evolve. No, it's the same. The it's wall the same. is the wall. Yeah, that's how he conceived it. So we'll see what Kelly and Trump do to kind of reconcile that today when they show up to the office. Didn't I wonder Pink Floyd but that'll be make 11. a song about that? Yeah, yeah. That'll be at 11 Eastern when Trump's done with his executive time. No, I've read all about what he's doing in his executive time. He's he's he's. I always just imagined he was sitting around in a robe. Right. But he's not. He's up, dressed mm. in the yellow room, Ooh. the yellow oval room, yeah, which is uh, where it's kind of like it's his it's his office, okay, up in the quarters, right, and he sits in there and works. It's yellow. It's apparently a yellow oval room. There has to be a reason behind the yellow. Where like, is FDR, it a power? Is no, it a power color you know or something? The, you know, the White House has colored rooms, different colors. There's a blue room, the r- red room, the green room. I think that's the yellow oval room. Red room, red room. And he, he sits there, by the way. And um, that's the same room FDR found out about the Pearl Harbor attack because huh. FDR Ooh. used it as an office as well. Oh wow! So he's just following. Yeah. Those at, before him. The FBI is probing whether a prominent Russian banker with close ties to Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin may have illegally funded money to the National Rifle Association in a bid to help elect Donald Trump, according to a new report from McClatchy. Oh, the boy. report, which is based on two anonymous sources, claims that special counsel Robert Mueller is now focusing on the deputy governor of Russia's central bank. Uh, who was involved in all this. According to the report, the NRA spent $30 million supporting Trump during the 2016 election. In March of last year, the Daily Beast first reported the NRA had met with a Kremlin hardliner in 2015 who was sanctioned 18 months earlier for the uh, dealing with the invasion of Crimea and eastern Ukraine. Ah, oh, Crimea. So now there's like money and NRA. Crimea and River. Are we funneling money through Russia? So are you telling me that um, Vlad... Vlad. Or is, someone adjacent to Vlad. He's a member. He's a member of the NRA. Well, maybe. He is pro-gun. 
I mean, he probably has he's more NRA pro- stickers that he puts on his bumper. I think he's more pro-tank, but... Yeah. <laughs> so he's shirtless. Where is he holding these guns? Uh, he, he, he has, has people. people. How do you conceal them? He has he gun has holders. People. people that just carry his gun. It's a very... Jeeves, I believe. Yeah. And finally, Apple is planning to build another corporate campus and hire 20,000 workers during the next five years as part of a $350 billion commitment to the U.S. that will partially be financed by upcoming windfall from the country's new tax law. Yeah, they're bringing money back. According to the AP, the pledge announced Wednesday comes less than a month after Congress approved the sweeping overhaul of the tax code. The reforms after uh, they offer a one-time break in, in a cash being held overseas. Apple plans to take advantage of that provision and bring back $252 billion in offshore cash, wow. generating a tax bill of roughly $38 billion. It's something that Apple CEO Tim Cook promised uh, the company would do if it could avoid being taxed at the 35% rate yeah. that had been effect, in effect under previous tax law. About $75 billion of the $350 billion in U.S. investment will be paid from money that had been overseas. Um, while Apple is likely to return some of its overseas money to its shareholders, Wednesday announced it's designed to be a show of faith in the USA. Wow. So this, they want to build a new campus, that, so we're going to get another Amazon sort of competition across yeah, the country. Is, but this Trump, this Trump tax thing, it's working. It's working. And the first, it, not even really into effect yet, but yeah. We're sure. finally getting Apple to come home. Well, I, I, di- I did hear that um, most of that money's probably been here the whole time. No. They just have, they have other companies... That are incorporated you don't overseas. Want, you don't but want that this money's tax actually thing to here. work. You're saying, no, they're bringing it over. Well, no, it's like that's, the, they just, that's a quarter of a trillion dollars they're going to repatriate. They said about $75 billion of the $350 billion in U.S. investment will be paid from money that has been overseas. $75 billion of the $350 right. billion. Well, yeah, but that's, that's about the tax burden, right? Well, no, but they're saying that the investment will be paid from money that had been overseas. Wrong. Right? right. So they're bringing all this money back in, but it's only seventy-five billion of the total three hundred fifty billion they're talking about. Yeah, You're wrong. Right. But the three fifty is what th- is the money that we, they they've earned and stashed away. But the taxes on that money is probably seventy-five billion. Okay. Isn't that what they're saying? No, no, it's not. Go on. It's fine. Well, because the tax- we could continue this, but we're never going to get to the test to see if you're mentally fit to be on the air. By the way, that's well, what's important. Right I now. don't know why we're questioning that now. It's a good time to do it. Uh, well, we, we have a test. That's one, the problem. one other thing, just really fast, because our guest today is talking about the fact that this uh, whole tax plan may actually make make it so our teenagers can start working again. Hmm. Apparently, they haven't been working. Is that their problem? Yeah, it's one of them. I thought they had phones. That's paid another for problem. by mom and dad. That's another problem. But a lot of kids don't, and no, they don't, and they're not even able to go work. They're not working because they don't have the money, and the companies aren't hiring them. So they're hoping that when companies have to pay less taxes, they can hire more hmm. kids. Hmm. Which might be good for Jeff, depending on how this test goes. Let's do the mental health mocha test. <laughs> Unemployment. <laughs> All right. So really quickly, yeah. I want you to give me the date, the month, the year, the day, the place, and the city. Now, the date, the numbers, is what I'm looking for here. Okay. Today's date. Numbers. Today's date, uh, 1-19-2018. Uh, okay. 2018. It's not the 19th? No. Okay. Oh, one eighteen. How, how about the month? What do you mean the month? What month are we in? 
We would be in January. That would be one. The year? 2018. The day? Thursday. The place? Uh, the place location? BYU Broadcasting? Okay, good enough. What Provo, city? Utah. All right. So you didn't do too bad on that, that first was a, one. That wasn't bad, yeah. Okay. So I need you to uh, read these words twice. We'll just read them across once and then read them across again. Okay. Jeff and Terry deserve raises. Okay, one more time, please. Jeff and Terry deserve raises. Okay, we'll come back to that here in a few minutes here. Uh, This is something you can do throughout the show, but it's something that most people are able to do. Yeah. And uh, we'll need you to draw a picture of Don Shaline. That's easy. Okay. So Don Shaline, you'll draw a picture of him. Do you want him in a sweater or not in a sweater? Uh, Preferably with one that's tied around his neck. Okay. With a boa or without a boa? We can leave that out. You don't have a lot of time, so, right. you know, just, it can be crude, but, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. I've got some pictures here, just some uh, ordinary, everyday pictures that a typical human would oh. be able to... Is this to... like a Rorschach test that I have to tell you what I think it looks like? No, 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 no. Okay. These aren't objective. These are very subjective. Okay. That's okay. a Rorschach. So, Rorschach. what is this first one? Uh, that is obviously Describe a what bulldog. You're seeing. It's a bulldog with uh, headphones on, listening to the Matt Townsend show in boots. Okay. I like how you gave a little plug for your show within that, too. Yeah. Okay, here is the next one. Okay, that is an upside-down picture of you uh, with your head cold in full fluidity uh, thinking about the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting. Okay. And then here is the, uh, the next one. That is a picture of my gallbladder. Uh, post-surgical removal while the doctor was listening to the Matt Townsend show. Okay, uh, and this this is just another very simple test. It's you know we're on the a, radio, right? Kind of a vision test, but you just describe what you're seeing in in this picture here. Uh, I'm seeing the same picture of my uh, gallbladder. Ignore that. With Just the word will do. Uh, the word would be f- her. Fridgeher. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. Uh, Just a couple more things. You you understand this is radio. Yes, yes, yes. This is a lot of visual stuff for radio. This is not visual. Okay, this is, uh, again, something that a typical human, somebody fit for the radio should be able to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two trains leave different cities heading toward each other at different speeds. When and where do they meet? Train A, traveling 70 miles per hour, leaves Westford, heading toward Eastford, 260 miles away. At the same time, train B, traveling 60 miles per hour. Northford. That's pretty good. Thank you. Wow. Okay. And then if you can please recall the five words that, uh, that we had you recite earlier on, that will wrap up the test and I can get going on the score here. Uh, those words were very simple. Jeff and Terry need help. Ooh, not close. Well, let me. I'll uh, during the break. I'll tabulate the score and and keep in mind there I, is a mental assessment, uh, a mental health assessment uh, that we'll do next hour. Oh, brother! To see before we can get a clear idea of whether or not you should be on the radio. This is. It's a lot of. It's intense. Ah. 
Anyway, folks, straight ahead, uh, we'll get the results of my mental health evaluation uh, on air, by the way. And uh, why the Republican tax plan may be putting American uh, youth back to work. It's up next. Well, we heard today that uh, Apple is going to now be bringing back uh, 200 and something billion dollars into the economy, money that they had apparently uh, had overseas. And uh, they now will build a new campus. They say employ 20,000 people here in the United States. But with this new Republican tax plan, many want to know whether the bill is only going to help the rich companies, the rich people, or is it actually going to improve labor market opportunities for workers, especially the nation's youth, whose uh, careers and jobs have suffered since the turn of the century? Here to explain why he believes that uh, this new tax plan actually will help the youth is Randall Olson. Uh, Randall is a professor and the director of the Center for Human Resource Research and has been heavily involved in the National Longitudinal Surveys of Labor Market Experience for over 20 years. And we're honored to have you here. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for your time. You're most welcome. This is glad to be here. This is interesting, uh, interesting insight I think you're bringing to us. I didn't realize that um, the youth were having such a hard time um, with employment. I, it's something that has kind of, it seems to have eluded me, but also a lot of major press. We don't, ta- we don't talk much about how hard it is for some of the youth to actually find jobs today. It, it is most peculiar that, especially during the Great Recession, that this was something that you just didn't talk about in, in polite company. But when you look at the data, it's, it's really uh, startling just how how badly the fortunes of of uh, of younger workers have reversed in over the past uh, decade or or twenty even twenty years. Talk talk so, about it, why that matters, Randall. I mean, I could hear people saying, "Come on, we we got to worry about jobs for their parents, not for the youth." But it, some of the data you were uh, you were talking about in your article it's it's incredible about if you have a bad start in, as a youth how much that will impact you going up through your ages. Well, no, that's 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 exactly right. Uh, it's it's a little known fact that the the having one more year of of education increases your your wage rate on average something on the order of you know four to six percent. But you get a similar effect for each a year of uh, of work experience that you've had. Hmm. So, work experience is just as important as education. And so, when uh, when young people can't find work, they miss out on on the opportunity to gain work experience. And that and that's a loss that they're going to feel for their for their entire lives. I think everybody recognizes well it's really important that the the young people get an education and it has an undeniably positive effect on on earnings prospects over over the life course but it's it's just as important that they have that they have jobs and in, by by working they they learn the everyday skills of well you have to get along with your supervisor you have to work cooperatively with your coworkers you you have to be polite. You have to show up on time. 
you know, skills like that that, yeah. are, that are really very basic. And, you know, for a lot, a lot of people, they only learn them in, in, the, in the workplace. Sometimes it's kind of ugly the first couple of jobs you have. Yeah. Uh, but, but most of us learn those, those skills. And when young people can't find, find jobs, uh, it, it has an impact. In yeah. addition, the, I, 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 you know, I don't know for sure, but I have a strong suspicion that a lot of the problems we see with, with, with drug abuse among uh, not only young workers, but even uh, uh, older workers who've lost their jobs, it's a case of people who you know, don't have direction to their lives. They don't, they don't have gainful in, employment. What are they going to do with their time? And they turn to these, these, these other behaviors that are, that are completely self-destructive. Mm. So I, I, th- I think that there, there are reasons not only on the positive side why we want to see people working and employed and, and, and earning money, but also on the avoidance of the, the, the negative side, that, that being out of work is, is not good for, for, for the spirit of the, of, of the worker. And if and if they if they despair of finding employment and turn to drugs, you know it destroys families, it mm. destroys relationships. Oh. I think there's a lot to be said. Absolutely. And 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 by the way, you also even mentioned just the delaying of families. So it 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 tends to delay uh, the ability to have families, to want to marry. So maybe this is some of the reason why we see people marrying at later ages. And and not I, having I, families, I I think that's uh, that's exactly that's exactly right. Uh, uh, in, in in the marriage market, you you have to have typically a, a, a young man and a, and a young woman who see each other as desirable partners, and uh, you know especially for for men, if if they don't have a job, you know, they they get marked down on 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 the on the shelf of <laughs> yeah, right. spouses. And you know, and is a, is a woman going to marry a man with without you know prospects, especially if she's looking to start a, a family? You know, probably not not going to happen. Yeah. So I I think you're 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 exactly right, and we see it in declining home ownership, family formation, you know, the failure to launch living in the basement. It's uh, it's all of one cloth. What 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 do the numbers look like for teenagers? What percentage of them are actually working? And um, and I guess too, what do you what do you think this new tax plan, the Republican tax plan, is going to do to to bring that back to lift that up? Well, it's you know historically, what you know for 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 young people sixteen to twenty four, which is the, uh, the, uh, a group that I think is is quite imp- important. Uh, uh, historically, their employment rate has been in the in the high fifties. Uh, at times, it's approached sixty percent. Uh, in the Great Recession, that fell down to forty-two, forty-three percent, which is a very, very steep, yeah. steep decline. So you go from from about sixty percent in in two thousand and three or so, and you go down to you know forty-three, forty-four percent in in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. That's really that's really quite a shock, and and. And this this is very very unusual. We've you know we we've never seen in in the in all the years that the government has been collecting employment rate data in the United States 
we've never seen uh, the employment rate for 16 to 24 year olds fall down as far as it did during the during the great great recession. Mm. So what is what does the tax bill uh, mean? I think I think I think the tax bill is important, but I think it's also uh, uh, reasonable to say that while the tax bill is important, the regulatory environment is also important. So the the tax bill is going to uh, reduce the cost of capital for for companies. They're going to be more willing to invest. Uh, they're go- they're going to we would hope invest their money here in in the United States and as you noted in the in the lead in uh, we we see some signs that that's 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 already starting to happen uh so that's that's the that's the 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 first the first step in 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 getting these things to to recover a, a little bit more but i think the regulatory environment is is also uh, really important we we spent uh, you know the better part of a, a decade with a regulatory environment that was that was clearly anti-business, uh, and the, a lot of the banks sat on their money because they were frankly afraid that the government would come after them again with balance sheet requirements, and so, uh, that would you know and if if they failed those tests for a while they you know they they couldn't pay bonuses and things of that sort. Right. And, and they 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 worried about if what what happens if we if we make a loan and the government really cracks down on on uh, on our reserve requirements what are what are we going to do so the safest thing for them to do was just put their money in short term government money and the the government was actually paying paying interest on reserves so for a lot of banks. This this was this was pretty much the easy easy way out, and if, if they and they you know a lot of companies didn't know who was next on on the target list, you know, yeah. who was going to be the next company singled out for special treatment in in Washington. So the easiest thing to do is to to do nothing. So with, with a better regulatory environment, you know we already see you know, a lot of a lot more interest in in, in drilling for 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 oil. Uh, things of that sort that were heretofore, you know, off the table that you know were not going to be uh, allowed. The building of pipelines, a, a noticeable, you know, really notable example of of something that was really needed. You, you needed to move the, the the petroleum from from North Dakota south toward the refineries, and moving it in in, in trains was horribly dangerous and environmentally threatening. But mm. But yet the, the administration, who stressed safety in the environment, uh, made it impossible to build the pipelines to uh, to avoid carrying the petroleum in in, in, in trains. It was just uh, it was a it was a are you kidding me moment you know for for a lot of people that the rhetoric just didn't match the actions. But, but hey, with, Randy, with that, let me let me ask you. Side. Oh, go let me ask you this, Randy, because I could hear um, there, there's this there's always this battle right about. Um, regulatory controls and taxation of businesses and the impact that has and, you know, trickle-down economics, Reaganomics, all these different um, things that get, you know, bandied about. But but one of the things that, that really surprised me 
um, in in your article that you wrote uh, is is the fact is some of the data coming from company or countries that tax at lower rates tax their businesses at lower rates and the impact that has um, on on business and and I guess the the thriving of business talk about Ireland for example what's their tax rate on businesses as opposed to the United States and what impact does that have well I, I think you know Ireland is you know an interesting example their uh, their tax rate was as I recall I don't know, 12ish percent something yeah, of that yeah. sort uh, where, whereas ours was what we're on, right around thirty-five percent, and, and they, you know, Ireland kind of made a living from from their, their low tax rates and, and luring luring companies to, to Ireland. Uh, you know, a lot of companies would would uh, would re- essentially reincorporate in in low tax countries to to avoid paying uh, taxes. Uh, in in the United States, and if you move those headquarters, well, you know you're moving some really good paying jobs out of the U.S. to Ireland or to to England or to wherever, just to avoid the the uh, the, the very high rate of taxation in the United States. So there's there, there's good reason to believe that that uh, lowering the tax rate will will stop that. That that sort of thing. In fact, and now now they're even Ireland's worried now, right? Because if the United States is lowering their tax rates, uh, it's going to change a lot of economies around the around the world as well. China also uh, is starting to perk up about what we're doing here locally. It, it, exactly in Germany, so uh, it, it's it's really it's really changing the the, the terms of of discussion uh, around the world and. Uh, and that's that that's that's probably to the good. We're actually we're actually seeing a recovery in the worldwide economy, uh, you know, long long overdue. And I think you know part of it is the the climate has just has just improved, mm. and that that gives people confidence. And the other part you point out is and there's also there are lessons from history that when we look back to the to the Great Recession. Uh, the uh, during the Roosevelt administration in uh in 1935 30, was a very anti-business uh climate uh the the, the ca- Roosevelt's cabinet was openly hostile toward 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 business they were, you know they were essentially they were well they were marxists uh and um today I guess you'd call them progressives but they, you know, they were very anti-business. They raised the the corporate income tax rate, uh, and uh, the the phrase there was, uh, you know, the capital went on strike. Essentially, the business community was so fearful of what the government would do to them that they 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 didn't invest, and the United States fell back into into depression, while the rest of the world was mm. was coming out, and the United States only came out of the depression. Uh, you know, with with the advent of World War II, which is just about the worst way you can imagine to yeah to, to yeah encourage you gotta you gotta go to war to get out of it. Uh, again, we're speaking with uh, Professor Randall Olson, who's the director of the Center for Human Resource Research, and has been heavily involved in the National Longitudinal Survey of the Labor Market 
experienced, which is the called the NLS for over the last 20 years. And um, one of the things, Randall, I'd love you to help us with just for the few minutes we have here, um, if if this if the tax new tax laws are going to ch- change some of the dynamics and and make it so companies can or if they're willing to you know reinvest more in employees and workers what can we do with our youth to make sure that they're ready to take advantage of these opportunities and and even to take advantage of of getting you know g- getting to work as young as they you know in at a at a good age a young age well, uh, yeah, one of one of the things that that I think we don't pay enough attention to, but it's getting more attention, is uh, the the what are sometimes called the non cognitive skills of of workers. I, I I came across a really interesting quotation from a from a from a from a corporate head who said, "We hire people for their cognitive skills, and we fire them for their non cognitive mm. deficits." So it's the the ability to get along with with others, to be cooperative, to be to be open with others, to to be emotionally stable. These are really important skills in making a young worker uh, work effectively in in the work workplace. And anything that 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 schools and parents or uh, and religious leaders can do to encourage uh, young people to acquire those skills to to, to essentially clean up their accent so that they can behave in, 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 a, in a normal and functional way is really going to, to help a lot because, you know, children who are or young people who are emotional train wrecks don't make good workers. Yeah, that's so, so true. Randall, thank you. I think uh, that's a great, that's a great uh, place to leave it. Uh, we, we've got to train up our kids to have kind of that emotional intelligence, that social intelligence to know how to keep a job. And by the way, one of the best ways to do that is to get them working. And as parents, a lot of times we'd, we just don't want to go there. We don't want to, we don't want to make our kids work because grades are so important. Yeah, they are, along with some of the uh, non-cognitive skills that uh, might get you fired as well. Uh, We will continue this discussion straight ahead and continue uh, doing what we can to help be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff is here. Um, based on our earlier interactions, I'm not quite sure he's all here yet. Yep. He's still slack-jawed and cross-eyed. What Did he tell you what meds he's on? He's I, not, he's I, not haven't, even, he's, I haven't forgotten about your test, though. We need to do the second half of your test next hour. Is it the same kind of Sudafed type it's of medicine a, yeah. the president was yeah. on that allowed him to slur apparently. his speech? Yeah, apparently. That was revealing. Do you think that's a real thing? That he dehydrated the president, the doctor, yes. over maybe too much dehydrated? We got this United... United States. That thing. Yeah. No, I think... Because imagine you're on Sudafed. Imagine you're on other drugs or whatever. And then... You drink 12 Diet Cokes a day, which are diuretics. The Propecia, the rosacea creams he's taking. It all combines into this mix that dehydrated the president that led us to the wonderful soundbite of who? The United States. Who hasn't felt like that sounded? 
I usually just get a drink of water. Yeah. He well, doesn't want to do it, though, because it's always this whole Marco Rubio thing he did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand. Thirsty Marco. <laughs> that- <laughs> hey, did Mitt Romney ever make that special announcement, by the way? No. No. Why? He speaks, but he doesn't announce anything. He, he's doing campaign-style speeches, though. Like, he did a, a pro-business one on, what was it, Tuesday? Yeah. And then Friday, he's going to talk at a tech summit, so lots of technology-type well, stuff. And his, apparently, his really good friend, Kem Gardner, who's kind of a real estate developer here in Utah, he's he's looking for some property, some real estate where a campaign office might be able to be situated. Well, they're locking down that prison. Do you think that would yeah, no, be no. a— No, no, I think they actually want like a— oh. Like a real established See, office. And the government thinks, the local government thinks that Amazon's building their headquarters there. That's so, where Amazon's ooh, bringing that's their headquarters. Little, that's a total pipe dream. They're not going to build their headquarters in Utah. They're going to build it in like Boston or Pittsburgh. Is he hoping, you never know. Is he hoping to catch us off guard? Is he hoping no. to surprise us? No. He has to declare sometime in March. That's the deadline. So yeah. Everyone's just like, give him time. He's just, he's, he's just trying to line everything up. What do you think he's doing? He's, Mitt Romney is the epitome of measuring five times, cutting once. So he's now measuring. But hasn't he only successfully— Measure, 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 measure. <laughs> cut once. Hasn't he only successfully won one term as a governor, and that, that's the extent of his political career? Yeah, well, yeah. and But he, he won as a Republican in like one of the most Democratic states in the country, which was—that says a lot. But and one now term, he's in right? one of the most one Republican. Term? Yeah. Yeah. And ran for president twice and ran the Olympics and made a lot of money uh, running companies. So. So like Batman, his secret superpower is he's rich. Yeah. Okay. Well, and he's intelligent. Well, so was smart. Batman. He's so hard was working. So was Batman. Eh. Did he go to the Himalayas to learn how to become a ninja? No, Batman did. And have you seen Batman. Batman's <laughs> abs? Yeah, Batman's got some abs. You guys have never seen Mitt's abs. Mm-hmm. Okay, how did we get there? Hey, um, a lot of people are lonely, lonely out there. I'm so lonely. Yeah. So on Wednesday, Prime Minister Wait, Teresa... Did, oh, did yeah, you just, did. He did just you broke just into sing? song. Yeah, it was a little bit. Gave me on, the chills. On Wednesday, Prime, it's the cough medicine. I'm okay. Prime, uh, Prime Minister Theresa May announced that Tracy Couch is the new Minister for Loneliness in Great Britain. She's she's the, the the minister of loneliness. There's an estimated 9 million Britons, from the very young to the very elderly, who are tackling the problem of loneliness. Yeah. Serving as an advocate for those who have no one to talk to or share their thoughts and experiences with. Many people in the UK are distressed by the sad reality of modern life, May said, and the government research has shown that about 200,000 elderly people haven't spoken with a friend or relative in more than a month. Man. So apparently she's she's what going to be calling all of these people? I don't know. It's like personal notes. I'm not sure. Researchers uh, say isolation can lead to higher risk of cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, as well as mental and emotional issues. You don't have to be a minister of loneliness to do your part. Pick up no. the phone, offer a drive to an elderly relative good, or yeah. or a friend to an appointment or lunch. Drop by with a hot meal. Ask if they'd like to join you in a group activity. Just it's an effort to help you think of that person that might be forgotten yeah no i think that's a great idea so they've given a government office to tackle this problem because it seems to be a big issue in great britain maybe we need a secretary of loneliness Mm -hmm. that'd be the equivalent yeah 
Except we're trying to cut down on governments. We're just yeah. Blowing, well, and we're many, firing people left and right. Many say that is like that's Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> She's already, you know, yeah. kind of been banished, bananished. Occasionally, she'll pop up, cause some problems, and run away. <laughs> I, I think it's a really neat idea because there really there is an epidemic of loneliness. People are more and more lonely as we. It's amazing as we have more connectivity. Mm-hmm. We. Or are becoming isolated. more isolated and lonely. Right. And I really like that Jeff was able to record you singing that song and then yeah. play it back. And then you like auto-tuned it, yeah. remixed it, put a beat under it, and put it back out. Yeah. That's fast And work. I put the chipmunk filter on it, too. There you go. Right. Oh, you didn't have to say that. You could, everyone could have just assumed it was that was just Terry's voice auto-tuned. Right. Yeah. You blew the secret. Yeah. So do you have a cold, too? No. But he does. Yeah, I was just trying to make a reference that everyone could laugh at. Yeah. Well, it almost worked. <laughs> Anywho, uh, okay, we will continue the fun straight ahead. More trivia, more uh, crazy news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, as uh, life might be lonely for some, there there might be a little pick-me-up. Uh, President Trump has decided to put out his... 2017 Fake News Awards. He, he's, he's got his own awards for the media. Now, he played it up like it was going to be really big, production values, all this stuff, and then it turned out to be something they posted on the GOP website, and it turned into tried to be some sort of fundraiser for the GOP, and then it... Crashed their website as everyone tried to go see what these were going to be. But then what? it blew up on Twitter sphere, right? And a, a bunch of a bunch of uh, tweeters. Is that, that sounds so weird. Yeah, a bunch of tweeters like were were making fun of him, and so it kind of backfired. Well, what what it is? The majority of the stories they listed were stories that media companies put out, and then went, "That's a mistake." Put out and a corrected retraction, it. corrected yeah. it, and moved on. Yeah, right. And so. He's just airing grievances here. There's no actual fake news. Fake news is the Pope endorsed Trump. That was the most yeah. most shared, widely shared of these fake news that are being investigated type stories. Or Hillary Clinton's a lizard. That was another story Hold that on. trended. She is? Not. Okay. So fake news. these are fake news. Stories put out intentionally to deceive, right? Yeah. The news media put out, made a mistake, retracted it, and fixed it. Publicly, so yeah. who won? Who won? I, don't, I don't know if well, they're, they're not real awards. They just listed like ten. There's not like you know. It's not like in the a winner would be order. CNN. I'm sure because CNN is his main target. New York Times, ABC, yeah, New York Times. CNN, Washington Post. By the way, th- and it just sort of rotates through those guys. So let me make this. Let me make sure I'm getting this. These all these institutions they they use the term fake news more than anybody on earth, right? Yes. More than the president, right? The president used it 400 times last year. He used the term, uh, a guy on CNN went back and looked through some data and counted it up. 400 times he's used the word since the beginning of his presidency, which is one time a day. And now we have, you know, dictators around the world that are using that to justify their actions as they're locking up journalists who are writing truth about what they're doing. And there's, oh, it's fake news. They're going to jail. And now... uh, 
And Jeff, Jeff Flake, Flake is on it, and he's so now we have Flake news. Flake spoke about it on the floor of the Senate yesterday. There was a John McCain op-ed yeah. talking about how this is harming journalism around the world, making it dangerous for people to cover That's the news crazy. around the globe. So yeah, I just want to know if when these news organizations won these awards, did they thank President Trump in yeah. their acceptance yeah, speech? Yeah, I'd like to thank the little people, the people that got me where I am today. Fun stuff. More straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. Jeff is in the building. He is, uh, his body is in the room. His mind is floating on a cloud of Dayquil. A nice orange cloud, his slack-jawed, <laughs> cross-eyed look obviously tells us his mind is somewhere else. How are you, Jeffrey? <coughs> okay, battling the cold and the sniffles. Do you really want me to tell you how I'm doing? Nah, just don't talk. We're fine. We'll, we'll do the show. We, we've got you covered. You just keep pushing. Oh. Oh. That sounds a lot like the president. I can't tell if that's the president or Jeff. By the way, we we do know the president right now is healthier than Jeff. I mean, by a long shot. But are you healthier than the president? Yes. I passed my cognitive assessment. Well, that has yet to be determined. The only thing I didn't know was today's date. And uh, you haven't even finished the other portion of the test, which we will administer here shortly. Okay. I'm kind of – I'm nervous about that. We're going to do – we're going to evaluate how, you know, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, how healthy I am or I'm not. It's kind of nerve-wracking. Uh, anyway. This will determine your future here on the program. Really? I don't have that authority. I was just given this task to, to test me from those who do have the authority. Well, you know what? You have been testing me for a lot longer than just today. What do you mean by that? I don't know. You're, are you trying to get a rise out of the test administrator? Yes. Wow. Because it will invalidate the test. If, hmm. I can get you to, if I can get you to go off, then we know that I'm not the one with the problem. Well, I won't go off script. No. So it should uh, be a valid test. It will be. I have a feeling. Uh, lots to cover. Interestingly, um, the, the biggest news, it seems like, coming out of Washington, D.C., that people are talking about, but maybe not enough people care about, is that the government could shut down On tomorrow. Yeah. That seems like a big deal. We ought to be talking more about that. Are we? Mm. Or do we not worry about it because they usually pass some, you know, well, yeah. That's, intermediary. Well, and that's the thing. They usually do like a short-term spending bill just yeah. to give it about a month or two and they can try to figure something out. But even that is proving contentious as the Freedom Caucus within the House is uh, not acting like they want to play ball with the rest of the Republicans. So, so the Freedom Caucus, they're the ones that are saying don't – no deal on DACA that gives amnesty. Not even, this have nothing to do with DACA. 
Oh, what do they want? Because the short-term spending bill they're trying to push is just a Republican-only vote because they have the majority in the House. They don't need Democrats to pass one of those. Now they're going to exert their little bit of power. To get us another month of breathing room. But they can't even get the the Republican group to vote together to do that. They may not even have enough votes for that. That's been a problem. Yeah, the Republican – oh, boy. Because this – nobody can afford to have a shutdown. No. The you Republicans know, can't. Would it impact the Republicans more, do you think, or the Democrats? Who would be seen more some, negatively? Some say because the Republicans control all of government. Yeah. They're the ones that would own it. But, Others would say because the Democrats are not agreeing to this yeah. plan. But didn't the Republicans own it when Obama was in charge and well, they shut it down? Yeah, because it was dumb. Because the no, president but, wasn't going si- to agree to kill his own bill or his own health plan. See, right? this so is they why, were fighting a fight that wasn't going to uh, win. See, this is why people think there's fake news. Thanks, Ted Cruz. Because the know Republicans what? own it either way. Yeah. You know how it's going to affect the regular Joe Schmoes like you and me? Let me just ask you three questions. Okay. Do I still have to come to work? Yep. Okay. Yes. Uh Am I still going to be able to use uh, my currency to purchase goods and, and services? For now. Yes, just not postal okay. services. Will I still have access to all my favorite shows on Netflix? <laughs> yes. See, that's all I need to know. The last, last, Such a simple man. The last shutdown lasted 16 days. Wow. Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I won't notice, I won't notice any difference is what I'm saying. I bet you will. Life will function just like normal for me. You won't, you unless, won't get any you need, mail. unless you need to go to a federal office somewhere. Now, if they start saying that, well, you've got to pump your own, or you can't pump your own gas anymore, that's mm. when I'll probably freak out. We're not in Oregon. Right. Or New yeah. Jersey. And that's not under federal Things could change, oversight. though. You but, never know. With a government shutdown, but all of a sudden a you lot lose of, the power to pump your own gas. But, all, yeah. But all of a sudden, too, you may end up having the weird thing where you've got a passport that's out. You're mm-hmm. waiting to get a passport. You're waiting to um, get some other certification, some other uh, licensure or some other tax ID number no, or you good. have a tax issue or I'm you're good. waiting for your audit or you have a court hearing in a federal court. There's a lot of things that all of a sudden could just get a little crazy. Nah, I'm fine. I don't need any of those things right now. <laughs> Yet. Holy cow. You could I be think, in court. Seriously, I don't like him when he's on Dayquil. <clears throat> he's a little He gets little a punchy. little punchy yeah. and, and just – yeah. Uh, so let's get to the headlines. Find out if there's anything else we should be worried about. Terry, what's happening around the globe? Special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Kremlin meddling in the 2016 election has reportedly zeroed in on newly uncovered money transfers made between Russian government officials and U.S.-based individuals and businesses in November 2016 and January 2017. Rat This investigation out of BuzzFeed News. Sergei Kislyak, the former Russian ambassador to the U.S., who has found himself at the heart of the Mueller's probe allegedly received $120,000 just 10 days after Trump's victory in November. Several of these transactions were flagged by bankers to the U.S. Department of Treasury for suspicious activity, including an attempt to withdraw $150,000 from the Russian embassy's account just five days after the inauguration in January. The bank blocked the transaction and reported it to the federal government, according to BuzzFeed Report. As was in one of our previous news reports, this involves the NRA. Yeah. It involves people on sanctions dealing with Ukraine and Crimea. And it's Not just kind Crimea. of this big winding ball of 
questions that Robert Mueller is now looking into as the investigation continues. Again, weird point, though. We're now to the top officials. So you're getting to the president now. You're getting to Bannon. You're getting to all the big names. Yes. Which means maybe Mueller's wrapping this up in the next month or five. I don't know. We'll see. They get into banking transactions. I'm not sure how long that takes. That could go forever. They did bring in a cybersecurity expert, if you remember that, a couple weeks ago. To add to the investigatory team. (laughs) So, yeah. How fun was that? Outgoing Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona took to the Senate floor Wednesday to decry President Trump's authoritarian tendencies. Flake, I was going to call him fake, but there's an L in there. So, Flake specifically referenced a February tweet from Trump in which the president declared that fake news media is the enemy of the American people. It is a testament to the condition of our democracy that our president uses words infamously, infamously, yeah, infamously can't yeah. talk, it's yeah, the it's cough hard. medicine, it is. infamously spoken by Joseph Stalin to de- describe his enemies. Ugh. Flake, a frequent Trump critic, was especially bothered by the way Trump inspires dictators and authoritarians in his own uh, with his own language, noting how leaders of Syria, the Philippines, and Venezuela have all invoked the phrase fake news to justify or lie about their actions. Yeah, it's a good point. Many have said that using the term, Joseph, or not the term, but referencing Joseph Stalin maybe undercut his message. Yeah, it's maybe that throwing was too, out the old... You too know. big a dig. Yeah. You, you go with these historically bad people and compare them to today, it doesn't really yeah. equate, but... But he does make a good point that they've always been kind of the fourth branch of government, and he's he's lowering that standard. The confidence, yeah. Uh, a deadly flu epidemic sweeping the nation has triggered one Texas school district to cancel classes for the week, and one California hospital has set up a triage tent outside an emergency room for flu patients. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has identified a particular strain of influenza A, you ready, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's H3N2. Ugh. Yeah. Bingo. As the culprit affecting thousands from coast to coast. I think this is the first time we've had 49 of 50 states reporting widespread oh, wow. activity at the same time in at least the last 13 years, says a spokesperson from the CDC. Hawaii is the only state where the flu is not widespread. This flu season is on par with 2014-2015 season when more than 700,000 people were hospitalized with the flu and nearly 130 died. California has been the hardest hit state with at least 42 people under the age of 65 dying from flu-related symptoms, according to the state's public health department. Wow. The flu is it's attacking. I haven't. I guess Jeff has it. Oh, great. He's just staring at you with mouth open. We're going to get it. Yeah, he's in We're the room. We're locked in a room, mm-hmm. an airtight room. That's it. With a sickly mouth-breathing cross-eyed. It's okay. You, you said you overdose on vitamin C. Yeah. You get plenty of exercise. Nah. Oh, you, you get some? I've exercised. You've moved? You moved I, did your... I tell you I started swimming? Yeah, you mentioned that. By, by the way, I pulled every t- every tendon, every con- I, I pulled all my connective tissue in my body. Nice. How do you feel? Disconnected. Okay. <laughs> well, let me ask you the most important question. Speaking of government shutdown. Uh, Hold on. We're not speaking of the government shutdown It wasn't anymore. mentioned in the last five to six yeah, minutes we, at we all. Haven't was it that, that. Has that much time passed? Yeah. Yeah. So, Good morning, though. Will I still be able to get nachos? And then also, tying that into my sickness, will the nachos help me feel better? Yeah. Yeah, they will, bud. Just go back to sleep. It'll all be right. better. 
Finally, uh, an Idaho Falls family got more than they bargained for when a giant hole opened up on the floor of their garage. Oh. Early Tuesday morning around 4 a.m., Brittany Bush and her husband woke up to a loud noise. At first, they thought someone was trying to break into their house, but after not finding anything, they went back to bed. Later that same day, Brittany went to the garage and found what, what had made the noise. As I was pushing the garage door up, my right foot was stepping into the garage and just kept going down. Uh-oh. Because it's a huge hole, right? Uh, she was, I was holding onto the garage door and looked down and just started screaming. I'm like, our whole garage is sunken down. While having a giant hole open up in your garage floor was surprising enough, yeah. the biggest shock came when the family realized that it wasn't just a simple sinkhole. There was a room hidden under what used to be the garage floor. Creepy. They could see shelving units that held children's toys, a woman's handbag, hair curlers, and there was a letter. Scary. The room doesn't appear on any city record or county records, Brittany said. She said her and her husband have called their insurance provider to find out what to do and if the damage would be covered. The insurance provider came to inspect the damage and brought along an engineer. Upon inspection, the engineer told him it was surprised the floor didn't cave in sooner. The cement was only two inches thick, and he said there was a possibility there might be a second hidden room. What? Because of that, she said they thought the room might have been a bomb shelter. Yeah. Hopefully. It could be. At one point, they're like, if you find a body in there, get out. we got to call the cops. That's where we put mother. They said their home was built in the 50s, and it was built as a basement home. Sometimes I've heard them referred to as promise homes. Like someday we promise to get you an upstairs. We'll build you the rest of the house, right? <laughs> so you, in the fifties, people trying to get into homes, yeah. they could afford the basement. So they built a basement it's the, home. It's the least expensive, I think, construction there is. Right, the dig, dig a hole and, and build it. Yeah. And so the later the idea was build the house on top of it. Some of those houses didn't get, ever get built. Some did. Who knows? But they said this one was built, and then someone came in in the seventies and remodeled it and added the second story. Brittany said they're now going to begin working on cleanup and hope they don't find anything sinister in the Boy. possibly two extra rooms they found. There's- maybe maybe there was a family down there who thought there was some sort of nuclear holocaust going on, but there wasn't. Like in that movie Blast from the Past with Christopher Walken, Sissy Spacek, and Brendan Fraser. Hold on. Man, he just runs on and on. You went right into a movie. You can remember a movie, but you couldn't remember what we were talking about a minute ago. Yeah. Those are some... Good drugs. Good meds are on there. Um, do you remember a lot of weird real estate stories come out of Idaho? They also had the, the family that moved in and had a, a like a whole den full of snakes All right. that infested the house. Yeah. So would you rather have mm. the spooky basement hidden room, torture chamber, whatever we're calling it, Yeah. or would you rather have snakes? The room. Yeah. I'd want the room because – uh, conceivably, you just go down there, maybe shore some things up, get yeah. it up to code, and you've just added two more rooms to your house. Hey, you, I look at it more like, hey, you've just added 800 square feet. <laughs> you go. That's, that's the new man cave. I would turn yeah. that into my man cave. No, you want to have a more secure like garage yeah. floor to be the yeah, roof of that probably, structure. Yeah. But yeah. That's fantastic. Now, the problem is it's probably not up to code. They'll probably need to just fill that in or just move. Cause maybe what is... you'll now have is a swimming pool. In your garage. Just take, take yeah. off the roof and just... A covered pool. Covered pool. They've wow. already done the digging for it. Yeah, it's half the battle. Yeah. That's amazing. And See, we solve any problem on this show. Exactly. Well, and if you have garage door opener, you just open it up and it's it's an outdoor pool. And in oh, the winter, wow. you close it. It's an indoor pool. Like you make it a sauna? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. 
Not a bad idea. Okay, wow. That's pretty uh, that's pretty intriguing. If you have any real estate inspirational ideas, call Matt. He likes to hear those. Couldn't get my uh, – speaking of whole, real estate. He has a whole Pinterest page following oh, his, yeah. his, what, architectural hopes and dreams yeah. for the future. Yeah. I love this house. You can drive a boat into it. This That's it. <laughs> Someday I'm going to have a house I can drive a boat into. I don't have a boat and I don't want to live near a lake. Right. I think you're stalling because you're afraid oh, of this next test no, that's coming up. Uh, no, let's let's I do the test. Let's you're do worried, the, but well, what I'm worried about is my assessor has already proven that he's not necessarily stable presently. Come on, come on. Okay, okay. So we will now be taking a, 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 an emotional, mental, psychological health test. To see if I'm stable enough to carry a show. Does that stress you out to have the ticking clock? I just want to keep us on time here. Yeah, no, I'm fine. So in the last six months, have you experienced any of the following symptoms? Yeah, let's see. I felt restless, agitated, frantic, or tense. Uh, Yes, about three minutes ago. I had difficulty focusing, concentrating, or remembering things. Yes. I no no longer felt a desire to practice taxidermy. Yes. My hands, legs, or grankles were shaking, flailing, or appeared gelatinous. Uh, yes. I could recite tongue twisters in foreign languages, like tat, tit, tatio, titu, tatia. Hmm. Uh, never, no, I didn't have that problem. Okay. I believed I had the ability to fly or to levitate tax auditors. Mm, not tax auditors, no. And then lastly, I had a desire to binge watch an entire season of This Is Us. No. Wow. No. My wife does that. I binge watch other things. Okay. So, so in in the next hour, I'll I'll start adding up the scores. Well, that I'll was, hand it to our experts. That was easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. I mean, I I pretty There's much nothing to be afraid of. No. It. For some reason, that did remind me a lot of you. Really? Mm-hmm. Those questions did. Why? What was the Russian uh, t How did you know it was Russian? Well, because it, I know it wasn't Tat- English. It tit- wasn't Spanish. Tatu titu tia Yeah. So what does that mean in Russian? Oh, this is all, this is all uh, you know, it's, it's open for interpretation. Yeah. Terry's convinced you're conjugating a verb or something. Hmm. The, the point is, what does this tell us about you? Yeah. That's really what we're here for. Well, I think what it's telling everybody is how in, incredibly patient I am and long-suffering. Hey, I don't make the decision. You don't have to try to sell me. Good point. It's a really, really good point. But the higher-ups are sitting up there listening. I will hand them the papers. Yeah. They will tabulate. and If they're listening, I'm I'm pretty sure this is going to be a very, very clear outcome. Okay. If they're listening. Straight ahead, folks, we're going to talk about how to resolve your most emotional conflicts. Helping you keep uh, emotionally stable. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
do you deal with that impossible person, the one who always seems to be out to get you? When you're at an impasse with your boss, your spouse, your neighbors, how do you reach a solution that's best for both of you? When making an emotional argument, how do you avoid letting your emotions get the best of you? Author Dan Shapiro's book, Negotiating the Non-Negotiable, How to Resolve Your Most Emotionally Charged Conflicts, takes a look at tribal thinking and how to identify with those who seem fundamentally opposed to us. I had the pleasure of interviewing him a few months ago. We started the interview, uh, and when we did, I asked him, to tell us how we identify as members of a tribe and what that does for our relationship with others. Over the course of the past 20 or so years, I've been looking at what really essentially causes people to get into conflicts, not the good ones, but the troubling ones, you know, where you tear the relationships apart. And there's this fundamental mindset that we found tends to drive almost every one of these toxic conflicts, and I call it the tribes effect. It's a divisive mindset. It's the moment that, Matt, you and I might be best friends, but all of a sudden I say something that threatens your identity or vice versa. Now it becomes divisive. You versus me, us versus them. This is a mindset. And as a mindset, it sticks. It can stick for days, weeks, generations. Uh, But that's the challenge of conflict. Like, I mean, yeah, you could almost see back in the day, Two tribes almost living side by side, very potentially simpatico and healthy and strong. They all have the same needs, but they're different tribes. And as soon as – I mean, they might even be friends until they realize they're different tribes. And then that creates this, I guess, mindset. And the mind I mean, the mindset, I guess, is to protect people. Is that – our tribal need is, is a need to protect our, our core group? Exactly. I mean, so tribes aren't bad things. You know, we all, the way I use the word tribe, we all belong to dozens of different tribes. You know, my family is a tribe. The university is a tribe. The corporation, you have marketing and research, Google, Shell, ISIS. You have the good tribes, the bad tribes. And yeah, exactly. Why are tribes useful? Because we're trying to protect our own family, our Mm -hmm. own group. And yet at the same time as we are working to protect them, we often become self-sabotaging. We put up this, you know, turtle shell in front of us, and it, it doesn't necessarily make for cooperative interaction. And then that, I guess you're saying, is what charges the conflict, the emotion, the, the chemical side. What we found is that there are these forces, these five emotional forces that tend to lure us toward that tribal thinking. And, and the book really talks about these five I call them the five lures of the tribal mind, five emotional forces that pull us toward us-them thinking, even when it's self-sabotaging and it breaks down the family or the organization. Hmm. Give us some of those. What, What are these forces? Sure. So one example, I mean, think about a recent conflict that you've gotten into, an emotionally charged conflict. Yeah. First of these forces is what I call vertigo. So vertigo is when you get so emotionally consumed in a conflict situation that you can think of nothing but that, you know, that evil other person who per- perpetrated the conflict. Mm. You, maybe the conflict's at work, you struggle with a colleague, you go home at the end of the day, and yes, you are there at home in body, but not in mind. You know, you're still reeling about what happened at work. And just as true, it can happen at home. You get into a fight with a spouse, a teenager, you go to work, and yes, you are there in body at work, but your mind, your heart, it's still at home. 
you are in that spinning emotional tornado that I call vertigo. Wow. And, yeah. and the moment you get into that, it, it, the conflict becomes divisive. It's me versus you. You don't have to get into it, though. You know, so in the book, I talk about how you can avoid getting into that world of vertigo that we all, of course, do get into. But how do you break out of it? You yeah. Know? This is, I mean, what's so great about it is conflict is as old as anything, right? I mean, we, we've, as long as we've been around, we've had the tribes, we've belonged to our groups, and we've then had to combat, I guess. So mm-hmm. it, we're really, I guess, trying to just overcome our nature, I, I think that's right. I think we're trying to recognize your nature yeah. and then make rational decisions about our emotional selves. <clears throat> Which way do you want to go? You know, um, I think that's right. So I think our instincts are no different than they were a couple thousand years ago. Uh, and yet, as we develop more and more ideas, we can start to have better reins over our instincts. Yeah, this is interesting. What's another emotional force that kind of pulls us down? Sure. So... So I, I know you, you have a, a strong background in conflict resolution. Yeah. My sense is that people often go to workshops, you know, with all due respect, workshops on negotiation, communication skills, and they come back to work or home. I am a transformed person. Hallelujah. I took a class. Exactly. <laughs> and for about two weeks, they are transformed. And then three weeks later, they go back to their same old patterns. Right. The second of these lures is what I call, I should say what Freud originally called, the repetition compulsion. What I mean by that, it is that we tend to repeat the same dysfunctional patterns of behavior again and again and again and again, even when they are not serving our better good. Yeah. So, you know, my, my wife and I, you know, she's, a, she's trained as a social worker. I do work, obviously, in conflict resolution. And, you know, and at points we'll get into a conflict and you can start to feel it going in the wrong direction. <laughs> you know, like, I shouldn't be saying what I feel like I want to say. Right. I'm not. You might be thinking that this yeah. is the repetition compulsion. That's it. And, and that was Freud. Freud talked about that, huh? And Freud was the originator of this concept. He, he, what he noted, he initially thought, boy, we all want to move toward positivity. You know, we want to enjoy the pleasure. We want to move away from pain. And then he started doing work with women involved in domestic abuse situations and others. And he said, well, wait a minute. Why do they hop out of one domestic abuse situation and go into another? That doesn't seem like that's pleasure. Mm. But there's a compulsion. And, and, it, and my sense is that it, it becomes a part of our identity. You know, whether we are, have good behavior in a conflict or bad, the way we act is the way we think, you know, it's, it's part of who I am. Don't tell me to act different in this conflict situation. Right. And it's almost That's like the, it, it makes sense, right? Even if it's – even if we know it's not going to work and even if we know um, it's even against our value system to do it, the, even those two things aren't strong enough to keep us from just getting back in the compulsion. I have a, exact, I have a wonderful friend, brilliant, brilliant lawyer, uh, lived in Pennsylvania, was involved in a 25-year emotionally abusive relationship, finally broke out about a month and a half ago, to, went to D.C., and what do you think she does every day? She's with my friends in D.C., obsessing. Should I go back? Should I not? Should I go <sighs> back? She calls uh, you know, her, her um, life partner uh, every single day. This is the repetition compulsion. On a rational level, she absolutely knew I shouldn't go back. <laughs> this is unhealthy. And yet I regret to say 
about two weeks ago now, oh. she went back. You know, but that's not to say it's hopeless. So right. in the book, when I talk about how can you better understand your own patterns, once you understand them, you absolutely have the power to, to make a choice, to make a different choice, you know, to break out of that repetition compulsion. I mean, I guess even just starting to recognize the compulsion is yeah. a leg oh. up. No, and that's huge. You're absolutely right. That is the biggest part. You know, to recognize this is the pattern that I am in right now, uh, and, and to even name it. You know, so in the book I talk about a couple, which I can relate to this couple. That's why I wrote this example. The husband traveled a lot. The wife was at home with the kids. And every time the husband came home, it was a mess in their house. Because the wife, she'd been in control of the house. Now the husband wants to go, you know, manage the whole household. And they got into the same pattern of conflict every time when the husband returned. They gave a name to their conflict. They called it the trip fit, like a fit, you know, like a trip fit. Yeah. And, and, and they said that that was a marvelous help because when they got back home, they could feel that desire to get back into that same old pattern, that negative pattern. But one of them would just say to the other, wait a minute, we're about to get back into that trip fit. Do we really want to argue for the next three hours on this Saturday, or should we go out and have some fun with the kids? That's great. Yeah. It gives them a choice. And and, and then uh, is it possible, I guess, to, you know, write an overriding, you know, system process to then, I mean, so that they can do this habitually just like the compulsion is? Yeah. You can't, I mean, neuroscience would say that you can't overwrite it. You know, we develop these patterns. They get synaptically stuck in our brain, mm-hmm. you know. I, the, the, the best bet is to build a new pattern. Yeah. So instead of burning down the current house, you can't do that. Just build a new house. Get some new patterns. So, you know, as the couple initially came together, the problem was that, you know, they'd each feel resentful of the other abandoned in a way. And so they'd fight. And they wouldn't talk. They wouldn't express their feelings. The new way they did it, you know, to avoid that trip fit, was to start off by simply appreciating each other's perspective. It literally helped me understand what it was like this past week while I'm gone. Here's what it was like for me, you know, working day and night while I was away from you. And they start to connect in a very different way. It seems like it's, it's even more complicated when it's a dyad, right, when it's two people, because I might be able to maybe manage some of my thinking by myself, but then if my spouse keeps doing repetition compulsion and I'm doing it, it's a time bomb. I mean, it's just inevitable if we don't lead it. I, yeah, I, I, it, I, I am convinced that it takes only one to change. Yeah. Uh, in, in almost any situation, people seem to have a stalemate, each waiting for the other to change or to, to, to acknowledge, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, it only takes one to make, you know, to make the change in the relationship. In a couple's relationship, as, as you were raising, if only one person breaks out of the confrontational mode and starts to appreciate the other's perspective. That other side then goes, oh, and they let down their, their defenses, mm-hmm. the shield starts to go down. They're more open, ultimately, to listening to you as well. And so you feel better, right, too, because you're doing what you can. Exactly. And you, you said values earlier. You're living up to your own values as well, I'd assume. You know, we want yeah. Yeah. good, positive values. You're living up to those values. It's hard to do in a conflict, but it does only take one to move things in a different direction. No, I totally agree. And I've seen, 
many a miracle where the one and, and they took it. I mean, they they just chose to be healthier, even though their partner didn't change initially. But eventually, kind of goodness prevailed, or sometimes goodness just strengthens the one to leave, like that friend yeah. of yours you were talking about, and, and stay out. You know, because because they right. they're emboldened by living their values. In the book, one of the things I talk about is the space between people. So, if you imagine a couple, for example, as two stick figures, each each member of that couple, each stick figure, has their own identity. You know, I am this, I am that. These are my beliefs, my values, and yet there's this space between them, which might seem fictitious and not real. I think it's very real. It's yeah. the emotional reality that you create through your interaction with somebody else. We know it, you know, in, in the regular sense, when people, two people aren't getting along, we'll often say, boy, oh boy, there is something between them. You know? mm-hmm. or, or the opposite, in the workplace, if you see two people who've caught each other's fancy, you whisper to your colleague, I think there's something between them. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but, but what this means ultimately is that we can control each person in the relationship can control the emotions that are there in the relationship by our own individual behavior. So it really does mean there is power to one, to affecting and improving your conflicts. And true, too, because emotion's contagious to a degree, isn't it? So, I mean, if somebody is at peace, you'll probably be more at peace. If somebody's intense and ready to go off, <laughs> you're probably going to heighten your emotion. No, exactly. That's that's the the most dangerous problem of conflict and its most wonderful blessing. Uh-huh. If the negative emotions, it turns into wildfire. If you get the positive emotions, you get this beautiful synergy. How do we, how do we turn off? And I guess, I mean, something is going to, and it might just be evolutionary, you know, genes or whatever that have, have made us prepare for the fight. Um, how do we turn those off or not let them run the show? So I, I, I think, you know, one of the most useful things, in, like if, if you are involved in a deeply challenging conflict situation, one of the, in the book I've, I've, I've coined something I call your mythos of identity. The basic idea here is what is the core narrative defining your relationship with the other side? And, and this might sound complicated and academic, but the basic idea, what can you do? What's a metaphor? you can use to describe the nature of your relationship with the other side. And, and if you can really find a metaphor that defines, the, you know, that you feel identifies your relationship, or, you know, depicts it, mm-hmm. it's incredibly helpful. Um, just to give you an example, I was recently working with Israelis and Palestinians uh, at, at the Harvard Kennedy School. So they were, these were mid-career uh, executives, in Israeli, Palestinians, internationals, I asked them to do this in small groups, mixed groups. I said, find some metaphor that you believe describes the nature of the relationship between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And at first they looked at me and they said, you have to do what? And I said, just try it. It's fine. And they got so into this that they, in fact, wrote a Huffington Post article about it. Beautiful metaphors. One metaphor uh, was of Siamese twins and depicting the Israelis and Palestinians as Siamese twins. And then it raised all the questions. Is there one heart, or are there two? One brain or two? If you slice the Siamese twin in half to create two bodies, are they both going to live, or is only one going to live? And they got so deep 
into understanding the nature of the relationship between them. I, I mean, 20 years of the rhetoric and the, the, you know, the typical political discourse right. would not have gotten them where they got in those 20 minutes moving to a metaphor. Yeah. And, and I think of the family. You know, if, if, if somebody's in a tough conflict with a spouse, a teenager, a worker, what's a metaphor that you think might describe your relationship? And then how can you make it more empowering? You know, so if you see yourself as little David and compared to Goliath, well, you can eat, you know, an extra bowl of Cheerios and David gets a lot bigger. Buff up, or, yeah. You know, whatever it is, but you can do crazy things. And then what does it mean to eat those Cheerios? You know, how, how, how can you actually strengthen yourself in your relationship with that intimidating other person? That's great. And, and even if it starts with a negative kind of or an oppressive uh, metaphor like, well, I feel like a slave to a slave owner. You yes. then you would ask, okay, so how do we empower that metaphor? That's right. What's making you feel like a slave? Yeah. Uh, is there somebody forcing you to stay there and do what you're doing? Why? What's the for? Who's forcing you? That other person? What power does that person have over you? Hmm. Maybe they don't have the power that you think. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, that's the my friend I was talking about earlier. She felt like a slave to the slave owner her emotionally abusive partner, and she suddenly realized, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm not the slave. Yeah. Maybe this is the wrong metaphor. Maybe I am my own person here, a free person in a free country, and let me, you know, let me proudly walk out of this relationship, which she did for a while. And that, that helps you, I guess, look through a different lens at the same situation. Absolutely. That's well, brilliant. In, in a sense, what you're doing is you're getting to the emotional heart of the conflict without necessarily going through 30 years of psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, literally, it, it's, it's streamlining it. And, and more than that, you know, I often recommend couples, to the extent that they feel comfortable doing so, sit down together and think through, how would we define, what's a metaphor that we think defines the way we see our relationship with one another in the tough times? And, and very revealing. Yeah. And then you can start to think through, well, maybe let's think about a different metaphor here. One that's more empowering for both of us in, in this situation. Love that. It's, um, it also seems to put you in a different brain, right? Not your fight-or-flight brain, more the prefrontal cortex, the creative yeah. reasoning brain. Exactly. So what I found is one of the powerful elements of this concept, of this tool, is that you can then really work through emotional, emotionally charged issues without getting into that emotionally charged experience. Uh-huh. So, so it's not like you're avoiding the strong emotions. They're there. Accept them. Yeah. But how do we... T- but it's, it's very different for me to say, to, you know, in, in a conflict, I feel angry and upset and resentful at you, and I hate you, and uh-huh. you drive me crazy, versus, you know what? I feel like David. I feel like you're Goliath in the situation, and I don't like the way this is working out. Yeah. You, you can talk about that in a much safer way than, you know, than the vulnerability of talking directly about the emotion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like it's outside of you. It's a new, it's a new um, narrative that's not, it's not my heart telling you, I don't know how you say it. It's like a third entity that we're using. You know, you're externalizing your emotional experience yeah. and talking about it. It's exactly, so, I mean, just quickly as an example, when my third son was born, my second son started to act out you know, punching his older brother, the then eight-year-old, his eight-year-old older brother, and so on. And I got, you know, I sat down with middle, the middle son, Zachary, one day, and I said, look, you know, what's going on? 
And, you know, it, it, how would you describe what comes over you when you get so frustrated? He said, you know what? It's sort of like the dark side or the dark, huh? side, whichever it was from Star Wars. Said, ah, I said, well, what's going to happen the next time you share that coming on? He said, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go for it. I said, okay. He runs outside. What happens about 10 minutes later? He in the backyard. He gets into a fight with his older brother. Darth Vader's I'm back. Exactly what <laughs> happened. The dark side, it got me. Later that day, I'm sitting inside working. My son, Zachary, comes bursting in. Daddy, daddy, guess what? What? I had the dark side come on, and I didn't let it get me. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's cool. The new narrative. That's so great. Well, now you have this hook because you now you've, you've created something together that you can help coach each other through. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's easy enough that the seven-year-old can do it. it it's sophisticated enough that we've, we, myself, and, and um, colleagues in um, other parts of the world have done this in international conflicts as well. Uh, Estonia, Russia, there was tension building there. Mm-hmm. Talked, some of my colleagues built a metaphor there on help them better understand the nature of the conflict and how to break out. Well, Dan, it, it's, it's great stuff. And... Um... Really, I know a lot about Pawn and what you guys do there. Incredible. I mean, really, and people may not know how much you are changing the world in some of the, in some of the hottest, you know, negotiations on earth, really, quite literally. So we appreciate having your time. We'd love to have you back in the future as well. Everybody, again, Dan, thanks so much. Matt, thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk with you. You too. Best and wishes. go to Dan, uh, danshapiroglobal.com. Wonderful resource, folks. And the book, the book, Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. How to resolve your most emotionally charged conflicts, maybe starting with a metaphor, maybe checking your tribe, you know, maybe looking at some of those impulses that drive you to automatically react. Great learnings from uh, Dan Shapiro. We'll take a break. Come right back. Wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. This is uh, the goal. Remember to give you the tools to be able to live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Yes, folks, it's that time to uh, get to the wacky news. And who better to help us than the uber-wacky Jeffrey Liam Simpson, who is currently under the influence of a a daytime cold remedy. See, you're making all these assumptions. And, uh, you know, I I haven't been questioning your fitness to be on the radio. You actually have given me two tests for my cognitive and mental abilities. In the last two hours. Was that today? Yeah. See, that's Uh, my point. That's my point. Should I have stayed home? Well, that's debatable. All right. Well, I I know I can remember that you recently played some video games with your son. Yes. Is that right? Yes, I played, um, I played, I don't know what you call it, a special ops game. Do you Call, Call of, of Duty. Duty? Do you place any restrictions or stipulations on his uh, video game playing? You know what? We don't need to. Really? Usually because they don't play very much. Wow. My kids, I mean they 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 actually kind of play as brothers. They'll just go down together and do it. But they're not down there hour upon hour. So we try to like not get in the way. Hmm. And yet my kids, when we got out the old regular Nintendo and Super Nintendo, especially the regular Nintendo, they ask for it every single day. Really? 
Yeah. Well, you know, they can't get past the second level, but they yeah. ask for it every day. So uh, there is this student who gave her boyfriend, speaking of Call of Duty, uh, she gave her she gave her boyfriend Call of Duty on Xbox. Yeah. And uh, it comes, it, she gave it to him with a very strict set of rules. The, the, okay. The, the dating, the rules, yes. Yeah, so. Uh, I, rem- I've, I remember this story. She, uh, whoa. Um, so the set of rules were, yeah. so her name is Ashley Davison, by the way, five rules. Uh, let's see here. She's a student at University of Central Oklahoma, and here are the rules. Um, gosh, where did they go? She made it, she made it out to be like this legal document. Yeah. He, uh, it's requiring him to put down the game if she calls and to keep her entertained if he's playing the game in her presence. Yeah. So it's a. She basically said, "You have to pay attention to me." If, yes. If you're going to play the game, you you can't. The contract says you gotta you gotta still pay attention to me, love on me, care for me, show me that I'm more important than your silly game. You know, I think maybe you're you're right because Dr. I've Matt. I've already talked about this. I think your assessment of me was mm-hmm. you're under the influence. Really? Yeah. So uh, those that don't know it, we talked about this story yesterday. Ad, ad nauseum. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Was I here yesterday? Uh, no, but you were listening. And then you wrote me back and commented, that's funny that uh, she would make him do that. And then now, right now, you under the influence are doing that very story. Wow. That so shows how far you've gone. Are you? Have you been administering a test to me then yeah. throughout the show? Uh-huh. There's been six points of my uh. test for your cognitive abilities, and sadly, you're not doing very well. Mm. But All I, don't, right. I don't look at it that way, like that you're failing it. I just look at it that you have a lot of opportunity for growth. That's one way to look at it. I will say, though, uh, now with that assessment, which I'm still trying to uh, figure out how I feel about it, yeah. I think when we come back, I'm ready to give you your score <gasps> on the test that you took. My mental health uh, evaluation, my emotional health evaluation, and my cognitive abilities. Okay, great. Yeah. And I will be giving you your score. Straight right. ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Um, We've decided, not we, somebody on the team has decided that if we're going to be testing the cognitive abilities of the president of the United States, uh, we may as well be testing my cognitive abilities. So Jeff administered a test in the first hour of the show and in the second hour of the show, another test. And he is now ready to pass me with flying colors. Jeffrey, get to the announcement. Wow. Well, believe it or not... You actually, you did okay. Yeah. You did not do quite as well as this guy. The United States. Yeah. But, you know, nobody ever in the history of the world was ever going to touch his score. No, he was, it was the best score in the history of the MOCA assessment. Right. So we started off with the MOCA assessment. Yeah. And uh, we get, there was a math equation there. Mm-hmm. The, the picture, I will say the picture you drew of Don Shaline. Yeah. 
There were some details of the photo that I could have done without that I'm sure he probably didn't appreciate either. Well, yeah, but I'm not an artist, A, and C, um, I, it's hard to do the sweater right. Well, and I don't think he has a comb over either. <laughs> So I would have left that out. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. That's uh, not a comb over. That's y- a hat. You. He's wearing a chapeau. You were uh, able to remember most of the five words that we had you recall from yeah. earlier, which were. Jeff and Terry are pathetic. Hmm. It's getting worse. Was I close? Mm, what, what, what were the Three of the words, words were right. What were the five Jeff words? and Terry deserve raises, I believe. <laughs> so uh, there's a possible 30. Yeah. And you got a 27.5. That's great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. No, but am, that was just from the first part I of the test. I'm cognitively healthy. The second part of the test, you you might want to go talk to somebody. Maybe um, even talk to yourself. No, I do. You do? Yeah. Okay. That's how how do you think I you get ha- pumped you, up for the show every time? You've morning? had no desire to binge watch This Is Us. Yeah, no. You've had no desire to continue pursuing taxidermy. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. Those that's not me. I don't do that. Okay. I think it's too much of a reflection of you. I you mean, actually I, scored a thirty two out of a possible thirty on that part. Yeah. Somehow. Nailed I, it. I didn't do the math on that, but somehow it happened. Nailed it. How did I do? Um, HR asked me not to announce it. Really? And, and instead, they, they just would like to have a meeting, a special get-together, they're calling it, after the show. Are they going to address the problem as if it's a problem that everybody has, but really it's just for me? Yes. Okay. And it's about how you're driving under the influence. They, yeah. You're driving the show under the influence. There he goes. He's out of here. All right. Well, I guess we'll... Wow. There he goes. Bye. We'll take a break then. And, uh... oh, go pick up the pieces. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Hour number three of the show. And if you missed the first two hours, you will want to go to uh, byuradio.org and look up all of our old segments. You can find all of the podcasts there as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. It's everywhere, folks. Uh, Three hours a day devoted really to helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. And today, of course, uh, Jeff Simpson's with us. Terry South is here. Uh, Jeff is battling a cold. And last hour, we figured out that the cold is winning. Yes. It's an epic battle. And I've given it, well, I probably haven't given it all I've gotten, but you know. No, well, I heard you blowing your nose, and you were giving all you had there. <laughs> that, this head cold, it's a big deal. It's the flu. You've got the flu, and you brought it to work day. Bring your flu to work day today. I think that is a thing. It is. Oh, no, it's a thing. 
It's a good thing I don't work at like a Sonic or, yeah. you know, a, a, what's that Italian place? I can't even, I, um, I'm not functioning. The the Italian, the Olive Garden. Yeah. As good, yeah. The Olive Garden. Because if you work there, what, you're saying you might make other people sick? I'm just saying it's it's happened recently in the news. Well, yeah, but you understand that we are other people. I, I'm i literally, like, having... I, I don't even know what, how to describe it, but I'm, like, halfway here. Yeah, no, oh, no, no, no. Let me describe it for you. You're hallucinating. You um, obviously have a breathing impediment because you have to breathe with your mouth wide open. From the sound here, you have a deviated septum. You can't breathe through your nose. And your eyes are not actually, they're, they're not, they don't, they're not fixed and they're not dilating. So <laughs> you, you're the opposite of what we would say is healthy. Really? Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I mean nothing negative by it. You're sick. You should, you should, uh, you should, all these signs make sense. Well, and I, I looked, I looked at my email during the break, and it, it looks like I've made some really bizarre purchases that I don't remember making. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. uh-huh. isn't that another sign that I shouldn't be here today, maybe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, lots of weird stuff showing up now just here at the studio. Uh, I, somebody just brought in some – apparently you're buying uh, material for some sewing project you've got going on. So I had it sent here? Yeah. Oh, that's really weird. Yeah. I don't even know the address here. And then there was that waterbed the other day. That was that weird. That was odd. Uh-huh. Who buys uh, a waterbed? I know. Who buys a waterbed, A, and B, who fills up the waterbed in their cubicle? Speaking of waterbeds, words of wisdom. If you're going to go snowboarding for the first time – Yeah. And you can't move for the next two days, and you're staying at your cousin's house. <laughs> don't stay in the waterbed. Don't sleep in the waterbed because you won't be able to get out. By the way, very specific advice you're giving now. Very specific for that one person who might go skiing, snowboarding, or snowboarding for the first time. For the first time, staying in a, a relative's house where there might be a waterbed. Be careful. Because you won't be able to get out. Right. Because your body will be sore. Yes. Yeah. Great advice. Um, so on the show, we try to give you you know incredible advice like that, very specific to a couple of you. Um, and then for the rest of you, we like to just keep you updated on the information, the news. Today, we're going to talk about New Year's intentions for weight loss. Karen Mangum will be joining us and talking to us about – she is our nutritionist and is going to give us some – some ways to take an intention and make it a reality. Probably a good thing that she's phoning it in instead of being here live in the studio. Yeah. We don't need to infect another person. But I am starting to feel a little sick. So really? I hope you're ready to carry the show tomorrow. Oh, boy. Just get ready. <sighs> but before you have to worry about that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what should we be paying attention to today? U.S. will keep troops in Syria indefinitely. Focused on ensuring that ISIS cannot reemerge, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson declared in an address to Stanford University's Hoover Institution on Wednesday. The 2,000 troops currently in Syria will have more than a lasting eradication of ISIS as their mission. 
Tillerson said a persistent objective of U.S. Syria policy would be to prevent Iran from using the country as part of its Northern Arch Grand Strategy. Although he did not say how. But that's that's great. We've maybe learned. But we need to occupy a country. For a while. The U.S. has neither a United Nations nor a congressional mandate for its presence in Syria, yet faces minimal political or international pressure for ending it. Yeah. So no one's going to complain, but nobody wants to do anything about it either. That's a that's a that's a hard situation. Yeah. Uh, President Trump on Wednesday accused Russia of violating international sanctions by helping North Korea acquire supplies, according to a new interview with Reuters. Trump also questioned the effectiveness of sitting down with the reclusive nation's leader Kim Jong Un as part of a peace process. I'm not sure that the talks will lead to anything meaningful. Also later this afternoon, look for President Trump to deny anything he said in the interview, as he's done with past interviews. Sure. And maybe have like dueling recordings yeah. of the interviews to. I did not say that. On Thursday today, the New York Times is not running any editorials in their print edition. Really? The editorial board decided to devote the page to letters from Trump supporters. Wow. Whoa. The paper is being uh, pillared on social media for making space uh, for more why Trump supporters, why that support Trump content. Oh, but hold on, that sounds like fake news. That's going to be a after, lot of fake. After the election, they, they've written multiple stories about why people voted for Trump. Yeah. Who are they? What are they concerned with? And there's all these stories about it. And people that read the paper are like, why are you focusing on this? It's going to be a lot of white space. But that says a lot about, it sounds like, the editorial control over the paper that they're, hey, we're not going to just bash Trump. Here is a time where Trump lovers can all talk. Says in the spirit of open debate and in hopes of helping readers who agree with us better understand the views of those who didn't. Wow. We want to let Mr. Trump supporters make their best case for him as the first year of his presidency approaches its close. Friday's paper will feature letters from disillusioned Trump voters and ticked off New York Times readers. Well, that would just be a regular edition. (laughs) Regular edition of the paper. Back to the regular edition. But this is interesting. So is, is Trump saying fake news about – I mean, are they still fake news today? They had like four of those fake news awards, so. Yeah. Well, I think that shows a lot of integrity, a lot of character. Michael Wolff's controversial uh, book, Fire and Fury, may soon hit the silver screen. Mm. It's already in its 15th edition. Holy Being cow. printed. It's back-ordered for like two and a half, three weeks if wow. you try to order it today. Luckily, he didn't delay the launch. Right. Do they, have all, the, do they have all the correct facts by this 15th edition? Have they gotten them right yet? I don't think they can tell anymore. It's all a matter of point of view. According to The Hollywood Reporter, a production company called Endeavor Content has bought the film and television rights of Wolf's Palace Intrigue book. The reporter claims that the massive deal is said to be in the seven-figure range. No network is yet attached to the project, but wow. Endeavor Content plans on shopping the content or the, uh, the the show project to networks as a TV series. Wolf is expected to be executive producer for the series, which means he throws his name on there and then just collects a check. It's, they could totally sell that to Comedy Central. Yeah. Oh no! This is a this would be like more like the BBC would do like a documentary like the uh. like the Crown. I think it could be a great comedy. Did you see the story? Finally, Michael Wolff's explained how he got into the White House. No, how did he? So eventually he went in with the idea of a title called the... Well, first off, he went on CNN in like February or March. Yeah. 
and he said a bunch of stuff about the media and how they're covering Trump and he thinks it's unfair and just kind right. of blasts CNN on CNN. Ooh, and Trump's like, num, num, Trump num. loved that, called him up on the phone. You gotta get in and here. And said, I love this. It was great. Appreciate you doing that. And the guy, and then Michael Wolf's like, hey, how about I write a book about you? And then Trump's like, well, I don't know. And so he floated the idea with the name, the working title of The Great Transition, the first year of the Trump presidency, something like that, right? <laughs> so he lied to him. Well, it was a working title. He the, was just blowing change. hot air into the balloon of Trump. And then Trump never said no, never, never actually said yes. But gave him a pass, gave him an access. But he's like, whatever. Come so he, he comes in, and then everyone he spoke with, he would mention another member of the staff that he'd already spoken with. And that to make it seem like there was approval. Yeah. He is, he's not aware of any senior level person in the White House at that time that had approved him being in the building. But everyone just thought somebody else had approved <laughs> it. And so he just kept floating around until he had all the content for his book and then he left. Wow. I mean, what's <laughs> amazing, great, It's a though, great con job. But that's scary, right? I mean, he could, yeah. he could have harmed uh, physically the president. It shows you how just... There was no control. There was no vetting. I mean, they they did a background check on him, but John Kelly, who's in charge now, would be like, no, he does not come in the building. No, John Kelly would be like, who is that guy? He would probably look up Michael Wolf, see his Rupert Murdoch book that got a lot of criticism, and be like, that's not the guy we want writing yeah. this book. But it was Reince Priebus, so he, apparently his approach to governing the, the White House was, eh, whatever. Free for all. Man. I love that story. That's crazy access. They did it to themselves. It's yeah. kind of the story is that they opened the door and let this, the wolf in. But no, it was fake news that, that you know promoted it and made it all happen. This never would have happened if nobody had covered the book. Oh, sure. Everybody should have not covered the book. Right. I still think it's going to have a home at Comedy Central. As you may recall, they did have a sitcom based around George W. Bush. They did. Yeah. And it was it was highly successful, but also highly expensive. So they chose not to continue on with it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, either Comedy Central or the BBC. We have a debate going on now. And finally, yeah, there's a very decent chance that the receipts in your wallet or purse from the store of your choice might be covered in chemicals that might contribute to autism, reproductive impairment, and obesity. <laughs> That's my problem. An anal- anal- analysis from the Michigan-based <laughs> environmental nonprofit, the Ecology Center, released Wednesday. They found that 93% of receipts tested positive for BPA or BPS, chemicals that are correlated with negative effects on hormones, metabolism, and other bodily functions. Wow. Researchers analyzed, uh, what, 207 receipts from a variety of businesses, including large retailers, major supermarket chains, and fast food restaurants, to produce a report, BPA and BPS are chemicals that are used as color developers. Beep, beep. Many businesses <laughs> don't print receipts with ink, but rather employ tr- uh, receipt printers that use thermal paper. Yeah. These chemicals are included with a heat-sensitive layer on the paper, so when the, the heated printer uh, head in the receipt printer comes into contact with the layer, these chemicals produce the printed image, right? Yeah, yeah. So this whole chemical process, many consumers are familiar with BPA because it's commonly used in plastics and the linings of food and beverage containers. You'll, you'll see uh, on like your... If you have like a, a cup or a, a dish or something for a child that says BPA free, you buy a water bottle anymore. Yeah. The really pushing BPA free. Beep, beep. 
The U.S. Food and Drug Administration it says here uh, the researchers have linked chemicals to a wide range of adverse health outcomes because the chemicals can mimic estrogen. Ooh. When it enters the human body, U.S. Food and Drug Administration banned BPA from baby bottles. As a result, many retailers moved to remove the chemicals from their products also. But BPS is a different product, remains common. Indeed, many companies swapped it in for BPA, right? So the <laughs> BPA bad, BPS good. Yeah. But studies oh, have well, said BPA yeah. bad. BPS good. Apparently. Okay. But the studies have suggested Frank that it, Monster said that. it could be just as harmful. This is scary. It's in your, like, receipts. So, But, so, like, there's people that work with receipts all day. If you exactly. are a checker yeah. at a store and pregnant, you're moving receipts all day long. This BPS or BPA could uh, contribute to disorders such as diabetes, asthma, cancer, Holy right? cow. Scientific America reported that that was that was their report. One other study suggests that detectable levels of BPS. Beep, beep. What so the the Food and Drug Administration bans BPA. Yeah. So everyone switches to BPS. We just got to get right? rid of the BPs altogether. Well, now they're saying the study says their detectable levels of BPS could be found in urine samples among 81% of Americans. What? So I just had a couple of receipts in my pocket the other day. Are you telling me that my eating problem, I I don't have to take responsibility for that? That yeah. that could be the fault of it's not these what stores? You, it's not what you ate while you were at TGI Fridays or wherever you are, wherever you go. It's the receipt after yes. that you ate. So go paperless. So do what I do when they say, do you want a receipt? And I go, no. Say what? Do you think I want to die? <laughs> But this yeah. is so that's I mean, I, you think like I have to keep receipts for my business and mm-hmm. turn in my receipts. But if you are somebody that is working around receipts all day, what you're supposed to glove up now? Maybe. Now you're the checker that has to glove up. And then everyone's like concerned, like, why are you wearing gloves? Uh, BPA. Should Maybe. I touch? Should I touch anything in here? <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. So I know that was a long and winding road, but essentially the, the chemicals winding road. The chemicals in your receipts could be causing some other problems for the same reason that they took the chemicals out of baby bottles. Oh boy. Or your drinking bottles because they're, you know, bad stuff. I knew this gut wasn't my fault. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, well, I thought I'd just give you a positive story for the day. Wow. Well, let me let me see if I can fix that. Oh, okay. Uh, because that didn't, I don't know, that didn't... Didn't feel positive? Didn't feel so positive. Okay. Uh, right. Two stories that you just that are just going to make you say, ah. Uh, former Senator Bob Dole, did you see this? I did. He can no longer walk, mm-hmm. but he, he um, went to an event where he was presented, uh, the 94-year-old World War II vet was presented the Congressional Gold Medal, one of the highest honors, and while they were uh, doing the flag ceremony at the beginning of the event, this Bob Dole sitting in a wheelchair, standing next to or the president, standing next to him, Vice President Pence next to him, the, they bring in the flag and start singing or start uh, um, playing the the national anthem, and he's stands hmm. like he has to oh, fight cool. to do whatever he can to stand for the flag coming in. It was super moving. This is a guy that was injured in war mm-hmm. and, again, receives this award. And so then, you you know, you, he's a patriot. That's what a true, by the way, true patriot looks like. As he's struggling to get up and his aide is helping him get up, uh, the president was standing right next to him. Didn't – I don't think he saw 
he needed help. <laughs> right. But um, didn't do anything. Didn't see anything there. But yeah. uh, well, it's the same. He gets off the plane with his wife, and there's yeah. been multiple instances. It's raining. Yeah, he has the umbrella. Does not offer it to Melania. Well, but or doesn't open the door. Yeah. Or just all kinds of stuff that way. But I mean, her hair looks great. It's wonderful always. <laughs> um, and so there's that story that brings some hope and some positivity back to the world. And uh, Pope Francis, how cool is this? Marries a couple hmm. aboard a plane. Whoa! Was it his plane? I believe so. Uh, yeah. No, it was a JetBlue flight, a red-eye to New York. <laughs> you got the economy see, flight, yeah. If you're on JetBlue, if you're running JetBlue and you have the Pope on your plane, do you charge him the $8 for the pillow and the blanket? Oh, yeah. Does he get a pass? Well, or does, or does he, he bring pay, his own pillow and blanket? Does he have to pay like everybody else? He brings the pontiff pillow. The man's got his own plane, yeah. his own fleet of Pope-mobiles. This is pretty cool. Uh, so they're they're flying, um, and there's two flight attendants on his airplane, and as they're uh, on the Papal oh. Plain, some 36,000 feet over Chile. Pope Force One. Pope Force One. <laughs> um, uh, they began chatting with the pontiff uh, when they when they were seated. Um, and anyway, talked to him about. What do you chat with the pontiff about? Hey, how about that weather? Yeah. No? I don't <laughs> hey. Know. If it was JetBlue, I would say, could you grab me one of those blue yeah. chip bags, please? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You, you guys are making this really hard. So he married two of the he attendants him. on the yeah. plane, and the and he, he married him, but he he actually remarried him. Apparently, they had already been married a few years ago, hmm. but it wasn't like a proper wedding. It wasn't a proper Catholic event. More of a Vegas affair. So yeah, probably okay. like you know, drive, way, more of a drive-through. Yeah, I saw the cutest thing, uh, a meme. You guys heard of those? Uh, meme, like meme, meme. Yeah. Um, there was a baby, a cute little picture of a baby wearing a onesie, and oh. the onesie had the Las Vegas sign, and it said, "Not everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas." Oh, that's funny. Like you know, yeah, like yeah, you have a baby, you got yeah. a baby. Um, I have one that's for my daughter. That says, I, "I'm not allowed to date till I'm 30." Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever." Yeah. Have Have I made the announcement yet about, about my grandbaby? Uh, She's dating. Yes, there's another one on the way. Have I announced that? I don't know. I may have just done that for you. Well, now I'm about to do it right now. Okay, go ahead. Officially. Um, so on Christmas, we got this cute little onesie from my daughter that uh, was supposed to be on my existing grandbaby, daughter Claire. And it said, I'm going to be a big sister. Hmm. And we realized, holy cow, my daughter's pregnant again and is having a baby. Then she says, now open this present, and we open another present, and it's a sonogram with – and it has two onesies, and there's two sonograms, and we find out we're having twin grandbabies. Oh, boy. So my daughter is pregnant with twins. It is the coolest thing in the world because well, you guys don't know this yet. Until about the eighth month, and no, that's, but, you, feel, you realize there's just not enough room for two. Oh, no, no. <laughs> and my daughter's a small, tiny, petite little girl that's probably going to explode. Yeah. But we look past that mm. to the fact that she'll bring in two huge babies into this world. But uh, I will immediately go from being a grandfather of one to a grandfather of three. Yeah. And it'll be beautiful. It's funny how hardly wait. It's funny how math works. And by the way, uh you may you guys probably don't understand this cuz oh. your kids are very young. Hmm. But child grandchildren the best thing. Even better than children. Cuz they leave? 
No. Because you have no. less responsibility. Well, but you, you, you can, have... You, you can have, spoil them, not worry about them. You have just as much love as you do for your children. Oh, okay. But you have a different role, and your role is just to unconditionally love them and lift them and... Fill them with sugar. I don't need send to teach them, them everything. Their parents will teach them how to work, and yeah. my job is just to sugar them up, mm-hmm. overstimulate them, and then send them home. That's the thing. You get to spoil them, yeah. and you don't have to deal with any of the other responsibility no that goes along with, with that. It's beautiful, and I love it. Anyway, uh, great news there. So uh, welcome to, uh, to my world now. So I'll be talking about twins a lot. So exciting. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about your New Year's intentions for weight loss. We'll be getting some ideas from our nutritionist, Karen Mangum. That's, uh, that's, it's essential because it's not enough to just have an intention. You got to turn it into an action. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Welcome back, friends. You know, it's the 18th of January, and in your mind, um, you probably had a New Year's resolution that you set on the 1st. Have you have you already broken it? Do you have a, a weight loss goal um, and or an intention? Did you intend to be healthier, to eat healthier, and you're already struggling with it? Well, here to help us through that is one of our great contributors, Karen Mangum. She's a licensed registered dietitian, a seasoned recipe developer, a food blogger, and a nutrition consultant. She is also the author and producer of the uh, website InsideKaren'sKitchen.com, which is a wonderful blog and site that will just give you um, not just the not just great examples of recipes, but I think also some motivation and just some good basic common sense help. Um, with your eating habits. Karen, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Matt. I'm happy to be with you. Good to talk to you. I love having you on the show because you make it. You make eating healthy seem so simple, and you're, you're also, to me, you, you are, you're, you're a moderate, meaning in my mind you, you are okay with moderation. Like you're, you're, you want me to have a cookie. You just don't <laughs> want that to be the only thing I eat all day. That or ten of them at yeah, one sitting. Exactly. So, no, I think you're right. It's it's a lot of people want to make it all or none. Yeah. But it it really and and some personalities are like that and have a very hard time with moderation. So you know I help individuals um, kind of work through that. Um, <clears throat> keep a a good schedule. Keep a uh, write things down because that helps with with order and a lot of people like order. Um, and I think that's why there's so many diets out there, because I think people want um, quick answers. They want it all or they want it none. Right. And it isn't always like that. It isn't going to have it isn't going to sustain you. And and, and one of the things I think that's uh, healthy about your uh, history, too, that maybe everybody needs to know is a lot of where this started for you is you're, you're a coach. 
and a nutritionist for people that have had bariatric issues, that have gone through bariatric surgeries, that um, you know, uh, to help moderate their intake. So that some some of your clients already had issues uh, with their eating and their health, and you're finding a way to actually still help bridge and help them overcome other issues they've already had. Correct. Uh, when someone comes for weight loss surgery, <clears throat> excuse me, they are um, really at a at a bad place. You know, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And this is drastic. It's a last resort for a lot of people, and they present with a myriad of eating problems, eating disorders. You know, um, overeating or using food for reasons that have nothing to do with being hungry. So there is a lot of food counseling, so to speak, that goes along with any kind of weight loss effort. And even if you don't have some serious eating disorders, it's still really important to evaluate why I eat. And, you know, those are, uh, that's a big question because it usually has something to do with maybe how food was used in your life. Yeah. You know, it was a, a good friend, a companion that a motivator. was always available, never talked back to you. I mean, there's just so many um, roles that food plays. And just by making some simple changes may not always take care of that. And so if there are underlying challenges or um, psychological issues that are accompanying then it is important to get further counseling. And it might make sense, too, that as we as January is here, uh, just a new year, it might make sense that it's a, it's a great time for us to start to reevaluate um, our intentions. And one of the things that I know you talk about uh, are, are just you only need – you don't need to, like, make the big change in everything. You just sometimes mm-hmm. need a very simple intention each day that would move you one step closer to your goal. Correct. So I use the word intention, and it comes really from yoga. Um, In yoga, whenever you start a practice, you set an intention, and that intention guides you through that practice. So it could be a word. It could be a phrase. It could be something that empowers you. A lot of times I'll use the word strength or use the word joy or use the word faith or peace to guide me through my practice. And I think that each day we can do that with our eating habits too. We Mm. can say, my intention is to eat healthfully today, or the intention is to feel, feel strong, feel light. And so therefore, as you set that intention, your little patterns that you follow each day, excuse me, Each intention that you or each behavior that you uh, follow through with will meet that intention. Will um, healthfully get you to your intention. I love that. I love that idea. And it it seems like again the word intention is different than goal. Even it's uh, it's kind of more. It's more from your heart. um, And 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 it's okay. To, to make it or kind of make it or almost make it or over make. I mean, you can you can hit anywhere within the area um, of your intention. Talk, so. talk. And, so. In fact, and, and so the word resolution often means like a closure yeah. or a finished or something that is ending uh, where we're continuing and the intention is every day. So it really does start 
in the morning. You want to get up and have a good breakfast. People who eat breakfast actually have been shown to lose more weight and to keep it off. They have excuse me, a higher metabolic rate. And um, it, it doesn't, and it's not doesn't require a lot of extra food. Like, just make sure that you have three components in your breakfast: a protein choice, some kind of a whole grain, and then hopefully some kind of produce, like vegetables or a piece of fruit. Okay, let Those me let me run things. my breakfast by you, because okay, I want to know. When I was eating it today, I'm thinking this may not be right. <laughs> okay, so uh, all I did is I took sliced turkey meat. Just okay. literally a wad of it, just a yeah. wad, um, right. a cheese stick, perfect, and a banana, and a banana, and a banana. So what are you missing? Uh, a grain. Yes. So you might maybe grab a couple of whole grain crackers, mm. or you roll that up into a whole wheat tortilla, whole grain tortilla. Oh yeah. Or oh, I didn't even think of that. Onto a toasted English muffin. Yeah. I know. Because you were in a hurry, it sounds like. You yeah, that's it. Grabbing and but a protein, a grain, and really just a fruit is all you need. Right. And maybe so a I handful of each. Yes, exactly. Just like a palm full of each. Yep. So it doesn't have to be much. And it even could be even you combine some of those in a bar. You have protein whole grain bars that are on the market. And yeah. then you just add like a little clementine. Um, I do that sometimes. Or take cheese and crackers and slices of apple, and I'm out the door. That's great. On my food blog, I do have a wonderful new post. It's a carrot breakfast cookie. No, I saw that. that. It's a kind of a cookie that you want to eat because it's full of whole grain goodness. And yeah. It really, they're easy to make, and you can store them in an airtight container for the week and just grab one on your way out with a, a clementine and maybe a glass of milk or soy or something. Mm. In fact, yeah, I can smell them. Yeah? I can good. smell them. Yeah, they do. They make your kitchen smell really good full of cinnamon <laughs> and all that good stuff. And, and I found it just having – my life's easier when I can just grab these things and, and run with them. Me too. Like, like you're saying, just open the container, take a couple of those cookies and get on the road. And out you go. Exactly. That's good. And then other another good tip and other good intention is to eat slowly. And you're going to do that. I call it downsizing your dinnerware. So what that means is eating on a smaller plate um, or like you have, like you were just saying, in a small little container, you put your, your you have a little container that you're going to put your grab-and-go foods in, and it's not very big, and so it doesn't fill up too much because the, the bigger the plate, the more you're going to eat. Right. So keep your, you know, that's why when you go to, um, like, smorgasbords, they have these enormous plates because yeah. they want you to fill it up and they want you to eat more and more. And so small little plates, um, even dessert or lunch-sized plate is good. And even small utensils. I, some of my patients actually use baby spoons because it forces them to eat small bites. Yeah, more um, work. We want them to chew thoroughly um, and make sure that everything is, um, you just take your time and enjoy your food. So downsize your dinnerware. That's, that's great. Tip. Yeah, that's great. And I guess another one that I, I like um, is the waterlogged idea. If you're, if yeah, you're, if yes. you're filling yourself up with water, uh, yeah. I guess you don't want to be Coca-Cola logged. Oh, no, no, no. Just waterlogged. calories. No, we want water. So any kind of low calorie and, you know, preferably water, because I'm not a big artificial sweetener fan. So um, water, a couple cups of water 
Oh, couple cups of water before um, the meal actually will fill you up, and um, you will obviously listen to your signals of you'll, you'll identify your signals of fullness actually better hmm. because you, you you present to the meal already full, and then you're taking these small bites and you're realizing, wow, I'm getting full on just half this plate, hmm. and that's not a bad thing. No, so that helps you to eat less because weight loss is all about eating less, you know, exercising more, but really it's more about portions and eating less. You just have to find a way to eat less. Right. Again, we're speaking with Karen Mangum um, from the website InsightKaren'sKitchen.com. Karen is a registered uh, and licensed dietitian and a seasoned recipe developer, also just happens to be the mother of uh, Tanner Mangum, who, uh, you know, and your daughter, I mean, you've got such t- a talented family. I- I'm assuming that we needed – you probably learned a lot of this knowing that, like, your daughter had to run to uh, – she plays soccer, doesn't she? She's a basketball player, although I do have an older daughter. Daughter that played soccer. College soccer, yes. And so – but they had to run to these events, and you probably had to grab a handful of stuff, and you yes. you learned it. Yes, I've learned it. And you just uh, make sure that when you go shopping, you bring things home – you get them ready to go, especially when it comes to produce. Um, this is Fruits and vegetables are the most ignored food group in America, and we've got to do a better job because these, this is where we get our fiber, our phytonutrients, the chemicals that fight disease. And if we don't get all these colorful fruits and vegetables into our diet every day, every meal, we're going to miss out. We're not going to be as healthy as we can be. And this is so simple. So when you come home, when you get to the grocery store, Make sure you hit the produce section first. Fill your cart with those things like um, even baby carrots or apples that you can come home and slice, bagged lettuce, or even salads that are already, you know, completed that have all those goodies inside with the dressings. Yeah. And, um, yeah, those are great because they make for quick and easy salads. Um, so things that you can cut up and have ready to go in little baggies, and then you can just grab them on your way out. Yeah. Um, because we've got to get more of those into our diet. You say sure. you call that pump up the produce. Pump up the produce. <laughs> yeah, get it going. We need a lot more of that. Last <laughs> yes, but not least, do. you talk about one intention should be to satisfy with snacks. What do you mean by that? Well, I think what I mean is that it's A-OK to eat a snack. I think a lot of people think, oh, I can't eat between meals. But if you're eating small meals, then eating a little mini meal between will actually satisfy your hunger so that you don't feel deprived. It's important that you feel satisfied, and a snack can do that. But you've got to be selective with your snacks. It's not just like grabbing the box of crackers and sitting in front of the TV and eating it mindlessly, right. which is what a lot of people do, or a bag of chips. Um, so choose what you want from healthy ingredients, um, and then put the packages away. And eat intentionally, with intention, with mindfulness. Enjoy your snack. Feel the goodness, feeling, you know, satisfying that hunger. And then you um, can feel good about uh, your day's worth because you're eating meals plus little mini meals, and that's the way to go. Yeah. What what advice do you give, Karen, uh, just for the person who's out there listening, and they had this great New Year's resolution idea. They were going to do all these things. 
They've kind of blown it up and it's not gone where they wanted it to go. How did they get back and kind of reset back their intentions? I think it's important just to evaluate the goal, decide what it is you really want, um, and uh, take a deep breath. <laughs> it's okay to start over. We all do that every day. In fact, in, again, and back to yoga, you practice in yoga uh, with good intention. And I think that's okay to, to do every day in our life. We practice every time we have a chance to sit down at a meal. It's a new eating experience. I'm going to practice this time. I'm going to do a little bit better by slowing down. I'm going to eat more produce. I'm going to make sure my, my meal is balanced. And so every meal is a chance to start over and, and, this, and to practice. So don't give up. I think keeping a good food record is another good thing. Hmm. That helps you be more aware of what's going in and how you're doing. Because you, you have to kind of own it before you can really lose it. Yeah. So ownership is a really big uh, part of eating healthfully as well. In fact, that's amazing. Ownership is one of the words of – it's one of my intentions for this year, to own more of my life, own more of my choices. So that resonates. Karen Mangum, thank you so much. Appreciate your great insights. Again, everybody, go check out the website, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. And uh, you can start to enjoy not only the great recipes, but uh, some uh, you'll be able to catch up on some of the videos of her on television and, and doing uh, even being on the show. Just all the resources and, and things that Karen has learned. She wants to pass them down to all of us. Hey, also, uh, straight ahead, great resources as well. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us and talking to us about what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Well, stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. It's time to go visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation and get a taste of what's coming up on their show today. Spencer and Jeremy, hello, my little friends. Hi, Matt. How are you guys doing? Well, we are embracing competition once again today. Are you? Yes. Now, why? What's... For a couple of reasons. Let's hear it. An actual competition is going to happen in the Marriott Center tonight for BYU basketball. I heard, yes. Against LMU, but guess What? What? Jeremy and I aren't sure if we care more about the actual BYU game or the teams that BYU is chasing down. Oh, another competition. Gonzaga, mm-hmm. St. Mary's, mm-hmm. tonight. Tonight, I, they're playing. Yes, the answer oh. is clear for me. Who, who, it's not that, even close. Uh, who's going to win? What I care about more. Okay. Which game I care yeah, about. yeah, you care more about I'll that. I'll tell you game. that coming up. Okay, this is exciting. Is it my employer or is it the other game? You better get this right. Jerome, you're going to lose your job. Your paycheck's on the line. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. You guys, that's that's interesting because is it really a chase? Is BYU, is BYU, are we in third place? BYU currently in a tie for third place. But here's what will happen tonight. BYU is going to beat LMU, okay? Okay. They will be 5-2 and two at the end of the night. And either St. Mary's or Gonzaga will have one loss in conference, which means BYU is then only one game out of second place. 
mm. which all factors into why we are so interested yes. See? in what happens between mm-hmm. St. Mary's and Gonzaga. So you guys are you're you're like twenty steps ahead of me. Well, probably let me let That's me. That's where we want to live. Don Chaline, uh before we started the show, said, "Listen, this is where I need you to be. <laughs> Twenty steps ahead of the Matt Townsend." But just so you know, that's not saying much. <laughs> I mean, it, Twenty. It, you have large. You have a large gate. Yeah. So twenty yeah. steps is like no. two steps. Yeah, my gate is huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, this is something I never talked to you guys about because of we were preempted a little bit uh, on Tuesday, but. I wanted to talk to you about the mistake from uh, Marcus Williams' mistake on the Saints when he missed the Vikings' defensive or uh, that incredible catch yeah. that cost the game. Yeah. Now, did anyone ever figure out what he was doing? Was he trying to upend the receiver from the uh, why? How? How did yeah, he just not? Yeah. Yeah. Here, I don't know. I've heard a lot of explanations, but I think this is my favorite. What? His coaches told him not to get a penalty. Okay? Oh, like don't because that stops the clock and moves the ball to that spot. Now he's a rookie, right? Yes, he's a rookie out of Utah. Correct, and he's a good one. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good player. Yeah, he's one of the better safeties statistically speaking. But he in put his head league. down. Isn't no. that, that's like the ultimate mistake, right? In football, is yeah. you you got to Here, keep your head up. Here's the issue. That's the football, Bill Buckner. Ah, so. Most people That's can't right through tell the legs. You what Bill Buckner did besides that play. <laughs> so so I'm sorry. Yeah. He's yeah. probably going to have that legacy forever. Carroll Bevel was a pretty good offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, but his legacy is, oh, Pete Carroll asked you to call a pass, and, and you threw it, and it was intercepted against the Why Patriots. Why do we focus that. on everyone's largest negative moment while they are alive? Well, yeah. And then when they die, typically we're like, oh, look at all the good they did. What a great man. Why is that? Well, I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't Human focus nature. on Marcus Williams at all. That's just the thing he's known for. Now, yeah, now he's known for that. But like some people are known for good things. Some people are known for bad things. But, I mean, he, he also could have just totally hit the guy and upended him and, but, and ended the game. And we know his name. That's right. It would just been a good hit. Even yeah. if he had given up the penalty. Yeah. Wouldn't know his name. The Vikings still have to kick a 50-plus yard field goal. Ah. Uh. I mean, that was, that's what's interesting about this. It's in, This is some great football we're seeing right now. It Last was, weekend was awesome. Yeah. It was, we're hoping this weekend's even close to it. Yeah, do you think it will be? Yeah. It'll be hard to match it. But I think again, the Patriots are going to win big over the Jags. It's, yeah, it uh, won't be as exciting, but... I don't know if you guys heard, but they say that like the 15th, about this time of year of January, is about the most depressing day of the year. And I think it's because we're realizing football's about to end... And and BYU's tied for third. And BYU's a 15-point favorite at home. Yeah. But we're going to give you reasons to watch okay, that's tonight, good. including that's good. our and one picks. Okay, cool. Which Those are we good. have just crushed. Yeah, you the guys first are— first two games, we have nailed it. Yeah, you're getting good now. You're getting really good at that. Maybe we need to be a little more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why you're doing the subject. I'm getting a little bit more aggressive in one of my picks tonight. Ooh. Just pure chance. This I'm is... going with a pure chance. Really? Yeah. Are you going out on a limb? A little bit. Good. That's where, you know. Because BYU can't control it. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, that, that does make it a little more chancy. BYU can't control it. So what else is on the show? Uh, we've got... Yeah, that's about it. That Just it? kidding. 
The 2019 football uh, schedule uh, looks to be complete now. Ah. South Florida announced that uh, the game's moving up to 2019, so uh, we'll tell you uh, what's on the 2019 doc for BYU. Let's just say the home schedule is the best in BYU history. Really? Yeah. In mm-hmm. 2019? Mm-hmm. BYU hasn't been going uh, undefeated on the field, but with the schedule they've been... BYU's put together better schedules than they've fared in them. Yeah. We will tell you the 2019 one, which is the crown jewel of independent schedule. So, so 2018, not a great home schedule at all. 2019, best ever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. yes. Interesting. That's I think it's the best home schedule assessment. BYU has yep. ever had. I-M-H-O. We would call that the correction. That's, that's the correction year. Correcting yeah, the, from the previous year. The road year. schedule for BYU is amazing this yeah. season. It's yeah. just too hard, in right. my opinion. Like, what's the point? You guys, that's why we love you. You know this that's stuff. That's why? I throw you, well, well, that and your rugged good looks and your oh. karaoke skills. Mm. That combined means genius. Well, gentlemen, thank you and have a great show. Uh, we wish you the best of luck. I know you, you need to go get your body makeup on and go pump up, go do your push-ups. Get those veins flowing with blood again. You're not going to want to miss it. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead, uh, and we've we've had a great show. We've learned a lot. Um, as again, as I look at Jeff, his eyes are are still um, uh, fixed and not dilating. Um, also, uh, mouth is still gaping open as he tries to take in air. Jeff is battling a cold, as well as also probably what I'm going to as a doctor diagnose as an overdose. Of some uh, some pseudonephrenin, something like that. Anyways, we always like to wrap up. Let's get to the hero story, and then Jeff can go uh, fall asleep. Uh, The hero story today is a delivery truck driver from Pennsylvania. He's being called a hero after he jumped into action after seeing a driver having trouble staying on the highway. Brian Barry was making deliveries when he noticed an SUV swerving and out of control behind his truck. Barry told the Tribune uh, Democrat that vehicle was bouncing off the concrete median. He pulled his truck over, jumped out, and ran after the Subaru, which Barry said was going about 20 miles an hour. I just started running after the car. I tried getting into the passenger side, but the handle broke off. The car was bouncing off the barrier and almost hit me, Barry told the newspaper. He was able to make his way to the driver's side, open the door. He got in and uh, got a foot in and slowed it down before getting it into park. Police said that the woman had suffered a seizure before losing control of her vehicle. She was taken to a local hospital for treatment. And the witnesses that saw the whole thing said he was running with the car that was picking up speed. He stayed with it the whole time, got her off the highway, got the car to stop. He uh, really saved her life. Could have ended in a really ugly way. So he is the hero of the day, Brian Barry. You risked life and limb chasing down a car, for heaven's sakes. You are our hero. And again, remember, everybody can be a hero if we just step up where we can step up. If we just look to the people that need us to to be a little bit better, a little bit sharper in our game, let's all commit to do that. That's why we do the show, to help you understand that you're worth it, you're valuable, and you can make a difference. We'll be back again tomorrow. uh, But BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.